Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, HITS K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, We use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirements. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite from uh, Canton or my lake house, actually, in Ohio. I am Eric Stambro, and with me always from windy, sunny, prematurely sunny Tulsa, Oklahoma, is my co-host, Ted Summers. Ted, how's it going? Awesome. Despite Corona apocalypse, <laughs> I get so pissed off when I see you with with uh, with fucking cut off sleeves on, and I still am wearing hoodies. This is some oh, bullshit. Yeah. No, it was like sixty five degrees this morning. I was like, shit, it's kind of cold. I had to go put a long sleeve on. <laughs> I had to put sunscreen on the other day. The <sighs> chicks are out already. It's fucking great. We had our first full on tornado right. warning last night. Sirens are going during Tuesday night training. All my handlers texted me in there because our in service, and they're like, "Are we still training?" And I was like, "Fuck yeah, we are." It was like the Rona ain't stopping us. Little tornadoes ain't stop us either. So all my guys showed up, um, and we had to take a little bit of a break because the tornado sirens are going. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely spring in Oklahoma. That is for damn sure. Uh, we got some dogs, new dogs coming into the kennel. Uh, Corona apocalypse. Yeah, yes, you did. <laughs> How was that? I haven't seen them yet. As of this recording, I have not met them yet. I've talked to uh, 
the people transporting. I've talked to Alicia and Travis a couple of times, and I, one of them is just fucking barking his head off, which I hate, which I'll fix that super quick. But uh, That, that <laughs> might have been the GSP that I gave you. Um, yeah, yeah no, I met the transporter those, guy yesterday, it's one of and uh, the dogs, the two shepherds you're getting are humongous, bro. Humongous. Yeah. We uh, we got those. So because of Corona Apocalypse, uh, there are no flights coming in to the country um, unless right. you're doing some kind of like crazy <clears throat> shipping 50 or something dogs at a time. Which <clears throat> we're doing. So um, these dogs were imported. Um, we bought them from a guy out in Connecticut, Dave Rivera, uh, Black Rock Canine. So uh, he's doing a good job, did a good job. I think we're going to have him and Seth Morzowski on and do a um, – an episode here shortly soon about uh, domestic dogs and why departments need to be looking at them as well. Um, so, but Dave is doing a good job and uh, helped us out. We helped him out. Um, so I think I've got two winners coming. So I think their names are Kai and Brit, which it's going to be, Hey, asshole one and two for a little while. So, well, one one of them is definitely asshole one. You will know. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I heard one is black and one is sable. Yeah, yeah watch that Sable one. He's, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I the guy transporting, I go, hey, uh, we're at a <clears throat> rest area on the Ohio Turnpike. I said, you, uh, you're not getting him out out here to break him, are you? He goes, fuck no. <laughs> I said, good, because <laughs> yeah. I will run and jump in my truck. <laughs> well, on the department he's going to, um, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they had been buying dogs from a vendor and they had like four dogs and they're not super happy with them. And I understand why. And they came to me and an experienced handler, and they're like, we need an actual dog. I'm like, okay. So I called David, and he and I had a conversation. I'm like, I need the two that are like those type of dogs. He's like, okay. <laughs> so I guess that's what I got. <laughs> We're going to find out. Yeah, you're so getting them. I need a fucking saddle, Dude, I guess. They're long as shit, those dogs. Great. So. Ah, fuck, I hate big dogs. Okay. <laughs> what about you? Yo, how's the building going? Uh, uh, the building's amazing, dude. So I have um, about 14,000, 15,000 square feet. Uh, I'm doing the build-out. I got a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, you know, I'm building crawl spaces and simulated attics. And what I need to do now is I have 45 rooms. I got to fill it full of stuff to hide stuff in. And um, so I'm, I had uh, the agency that I have my commission at now, Alliance, uh, they have a company the, the the police department itself runs a company called Alliance police training.com. They have right. some amazing, unbelievable instructors. The thing is they have an, a live fire shoot house. It's outside in Ohio. They can't do anything out there in the winter so much. Um, so they're going to start coming. They already came once. They're going to start having classes and stuff there at my place because during the, the whole entire place has no windows. So during the daytime, it's pitch black if you turn the lights out. So they can run NVGs in there. They can do, you know, all kinds of cool shit. So I'm super excited about it. Um, I've been in there every day training dogs my, all by myself. Um, and as we all know, there's a was grave it, in yeah, the basement of the building. So You're fucking creepy-ass gravestone down there. <laughs> oh, I show God. everybody that. It's crazy. No, I'm out on no. I'm <clears throat> not doing that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not right today. now, oh. right now, because of the embargo, I have all floppy-eared dogs in the kennel. Um, I personally have spent a lot of money in April getting the building ready, buying floppy-eared dogs, just just getting ready for when everything is rolling out. That I have yeah. inventory, that I have the training space. 
So I've dropped about a little over 20K in April just on, you know, getting this all ready. So we're the exact stimulating the economy as much as I can. Fucking pointy ears. And these dogs are dicks. So Travis and I have got our fucking hands full. And that dog Mm -hmm. that one of our buddies, one of our uh, regiment buddies sent us, that dog's a dick. (laughs) Yeah, is it? Oh, man. Not surprised. Ooh, yeah, he is definitely spicy. Yeah. So he's he going to bite somebody. It's probably going to be me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do we got going on today? So we're super excited. Um, tonight we are we have a guest on that uh, we're really happy that he came on here. Um, he uh, just launched a book a few days ago, and, and Ted and I were lucky enough to get an advanced copy. We got to read it, and it's it's amazing. It's a story that uh, people think they know. They don't really know. Um, or so, know bits and pieces uh, of it. They the know author, bits and pieces of the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The author of No Ordinary Dog is Will Chesney. Will, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for coming on, man. I know you're uh, you're on this whirlwind tour of uh, probably mostly social media stuff at this point. Yeah, the coronavirus has made things a little more difficult than usual, but I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. I've been knocking out quite a few of these but hopefully they've been going well yeah um i've I've heard you on a couple um it's a great it's a great story it's an amazing story uh we're here to we're going to talk about your dog cairo uh for those that that don't know who who this is you have your head under a rock if you when i say the name cairo uh potentially the most famous dog in the history of military working dogs um he was on the uh, operation to uh, kill Osama bin Laden, and we're going to get into like the book and Cairo's life and uh, kind of pay tribute to that dog here in this. And um, I'm telling you guys right now, the, the book's awesome. So uh, we have a lot of listeners that are really into the military working dog stuff and just, you know dog lovers in general and they, they're going to love the book so i really appreciate yeah, and it's you coming a, on this is a perfect time to release it too because ain't nobody going anywhere or doing anything so sit home and read <laughs> yes it's a good one sure. to pick up it's like a navy seal marley and me so i prefer to <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, oh, it absolutely is it came out on the 21st i think and i've seen a ton of people on <clears throat> social media um already downloading and talking about it and everything else. So it, it's definitely, I, I read it and it's a fantastic read. Um, you know, uh, you and the, uh, the co-author did a fantastic job of telling the story of Cairo. So, um, the entire story of Cairo and then the aftermath and everything else. So, uh, you know, that's a, it's a fantastic, uh, tribute to a very storied career for a very successful military dog for sure. So, Thank you. I appreciate that. It wasn't a, it wasn't easy telling the story, but working with Joe Layden was made it a little bit easier. So I'm, I'm glad everybody's enjoying Great. it. It was very important to me to get a, to get the right story out there and tell the truth. I think we did a good job. So we're going to, um, we're going to jump right in. We're going to work up and through the book a little bit up to, uh, just before the raid, before we take our break. Um, and then uh, we'll get into all that stuff. Uh, so you are a Texas kid, right? You grew up down in uh, down in southeast Texas. Southeast Texas. Yep. So that's you're you're closer to Louisiana. Is there uh, a lot of shit talking amongst Texans? <laughs> of 
Central and Southeast and nah, you got to represent. Much proud to be a Texan. I noticed that when I was going through, I mean, just the military in general. Everybody's proud to be a Texan. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. You're proud to be an American, and then there's Texans. Proud to be an American, that's for sure. I'm a Tex-American. You know. B- believe me, I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I believe me. Yeah, you can relate. Yeah, but he didn't know who the Tiger King was. I'm very disappointed. Well, that's because who he's doesn't? from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't know who, the, who that is by now? Fucking <laughs> Joe Exotic. Right, God right. bless. We're going to get him on the podcast, too. Probably has good internet from fucking jail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so you grew up, you grew up there in Southeast Texas. Um, you're you're a lot like me, where uh, we were into sports early on. You know, being Texas, you got to be in football. Ohio is football. I was pretty good at actually. I consider myself really good at baseball, but I I ended up giving all that up for work. Right. I had to get a job. Um, I worked in I worked at McDonald's. Actually, it was my thing. I know you uh, started working at restaurants. And uh, did you end up going to work for your old man? I did. I uh, so, yeah, I, I worked for a few places. I worked for a small kitchen doing dishes and cooking. And, but I ended up working with my father for a few months before leaving for the Navy. I was not a very I was very fond of heights. So. He worked for a tower construction company, and it paid pretty good. I figured it was a good way to test myself <laughs> to see if I would suck it up. And I got to spend a few months with my dad before I took off. And uh, having your dad as your boss isn't always the best-case scenario, but he taught me a lot of things. Mm-hmm. He taught me how to uh, trust my equipment. Like I said, I'm, I'm not very fond of heights. Like We'd go up into these 100, 200-foot uh, communication towers, and basically that you like trust your equipment you have your harness and your belt to tie off and all that stuff and a 17 year old kid up there my dad they used to call him spider-man because he just had no fear of heights and he'd do some crazy stuff but he would he'd be standing on top of the tower not tied off to anything just like hey i'm not kicking it hard but like hey lean back kicking my little rope I'm like hey trust it I'm like you're, you're all right <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like, "Hey, Dad, why don't you clip off to something real quick, and then we can talk?" Because I'm kind of freaking out. <laughs> but it was it was an interesting experience. So but I'm glad fun- I got to spend the time with them. Jumping ahead real quick, the the interesting thing huh? that people find out is, um, is that a lot of people that are afraid of heights can actually skydive because it's a little. It's almost, I had a guy, I used to skydive a lot with a guy who was petrified by heights. And I said, how do you do that? And he said, it's too high to be a height, if that yeah. makes sense. And yeah, um, see, I remember, and I know that you, you had to go through a lot of skydiving stuff. And did you feel that way? Like you just, it just wasn't the same? I wasn't a huge a jumper. I didn't push my luck. I, I wanted to be proficient at it. But hmm. you're right, it's a, if it, it's a different experience the way I looked at it. I'm climbing a tower, you know, 100 feet in the air, and I somehow slip. Well, the only chance I have is, I mean, what my father told me: hook an arm or leg out there and try to try to hook something. Uh, <laughs> hook an arm. <laughs> hook an arm. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but uh, when you're in the airplane, you got some time, and you know, if you have a malfunction, hopefully you're able to cut that away, go under what you call a reserve canopy, and get that going. So it was a little different, but the fast roping and rappelling, you know, that, that wasn't very, 
uh, high, still, you know, I'm afraid of heights, but it was different. I, I found that the uh, rappelling was fun and the fast roping was fun too and never really bothered me. I guess we just did it so much. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people don't know this. One of our business partners um, at HRD, uh, his name's Ray Murphy, uh, is a very accomplished, ba- accomplished base jumper. Um, has jumped, I think, on six continents. <laughs> like it, yeah. He has the some of the shit he's shown me. I'm like, yeah, I, no, I'm I'm good. You said oh, I don't really push my luck, and everything that dude shows me, I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> and now yeah. he doesn't anymore because he fucked his knee all up and his ankle up. But yeah, I mean that. Yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't uh, do a base jump. I'll do a I'll do another jump if uh, the either I was with the right group of guys in the right situation or you know the right environment. Like we're in Hawaii. And a jump opportunity popped up, and all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What can go wrong there? Yeah, I, mean, I jumped. It's Hawaii, right? It's yeah, Hawaii. Exactly. It's Hawaii. You know, it'd be a real cool. Yeah, lo- I- if it's a cool <laughs> location, then yeah, I'll, I'll get up right there. Yeah. <laughs> so you're uh, you're working. You're going to school. You're a senior in high school during nine eleven. Obviously, that had a humongous impact on most kids your age, males your age, a lot of people, people my age. I was working at the police department. I was undercover. I uh, doing narcotics. I just happened to be in the office and watched the second plane. The first one I didn't. Ted, I've never asked you where you were at during 9-11. I was at work and um, I was in college and I had some stupid job that I was working and I think it was a sophomore. But uh, yeah, I came in and my boss was a total dickhead. And he was like, I don't understand why Bobby was so upset and everything else. I'm like, dude, two planes just flew into the front. Really? I, I, yeah, no, he, Jeez. yeah, totally. He, he was like, I don't understand what, like what's going. I mean, in hindsight, he probably didn't understand. I don't know. I think I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But he was just one of those dudes that was always like, oh, why aren't you working with this? And I'm like, dude, there's something going on, type thing. And like, I, I, you know, I don't remember, you know, I don't remember exactly what I was thinking. I was like, holy shit. Like, what in the hell is going on? And, you know, I was just standing there watching the TV, and he was like, you guys need to get back to work. So, yeah, that's my 9-11 story. Fucking asshole. Yeah, that guy's a dick. Yeah, well. Yeah. He, yeah. So, uh, maybe he just didn't realize. I'm hoping that's what I it was. I, who knows? I was in high school. I remember watching it in, uh, in the library in school. There's not a lot of things I remember from my childhood, I guess, with the brain injury stuff but i definitely mm-hmm. will never forget that were you at prior to 9-11 already kind of laser focused in on going into the navy to the teams or was that the push that was definitely a huge push uh motivation wanted me to go but i, I, I ever since i was a little kid i wanted to I think, serve and by the time i got to maybe middle school i decided to be a seal i wanted to like i said serve and if i want to do so I wanted to do the best of my ability, and I heard SEAL training was pretty tough. <laughs> I love the water. I'm yeah. a huge water guy. I do. Uh, it was just a perfect fit. I mean, I, I didn't really plan on going to college. I just didn't seem – it's not something I wanted to do. And then that was yeah. perfect. And, yeah, it just has made complete sense. That everything in me wanted to do that job. And, obviously, you have to kind of have that mentality in order to go through BUDS. You said the – when. I uh, hear the SEALs have a pretty tough program. You sound like John Candy in Stripes. 
So he's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, so here there's like a six-week pretty tough program here. Yeah. You know, you know can, heard not too maybe bad. lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> yeah, they definitely make you so, earn it. Like, So one thing that was pretty interesting was people nowadays, they may not even know this, you can go in, you go into the Navy and there's a, uh, there's a rating, a special operations rating. But back then there was not. So they wanted you to go into another type of school. You end up going to machinist mate. But prior to that, when you're at boot camp, and, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm bringing this up because it would make me want to throw up, is they're like, no, you're not going to Bud's. You're going to, you got to go work somewhere else. You want to talk about that little interaction? Yeah, sure. So I was, you know, 17. I, I joined when I was 17. I had to get, I joined early. I had to get the parents to sign a waiver. 17 year old kid, you know, I'm not paying too much attention. I'm, I'm, my recruiter has me, like, nothing against him, but uh, her. She had brought up, like, hey, you want to make $5,000 extra to go to, I think it was information technology school and then the submarine contract. I felt like I was a fairly smart kid. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go to that extra school. Maybe I'll get to learn something cool. Uh, let's do, do it. <laughs> so when I got to boot camp, it was you know, fairly early on. Uh, chief, I was sitting somewhere in boot camp, and the chief comes up, and I guess he noticed in my paperwork I had the submarine contract, but I was on my way to Bud's, supposedly. <laughs> He's like, hey, your contract says you're going to be going to submarine, or you have a submarine contract. Um he was an old submariner himself. Um, I'm guessing in his mind, you know, he, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I don't know what I'm talking about. He's, he's a Navy chief. He probably knows a bunch of guys go to Bud's and just quit. Like, attrition rates, what, 80%? <laughs> and he saw that I had a submarine contract. He was a submariner, so he's like, hey, uh, I'm making the decision, and you're not going to go to Bud's. This is in your contract. You're, you're going to uh, submarine school. I'm like, all right. I'm not, uh, basically my, <laughs> from the very beginning, I just kind of was like, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, if I'm not going to Bud's, I'm not, I don't want to be here. I don't know what the exact words of what I said. I'm sure I was very respectful, but that was the basic gist of it. <laughs> and eventually yeah. I was, I, I was persistent enough to where I lost my submarine contract and I lost five grand, but I was on my way to Bud's, <laughs> which is basic underwater demolition seal training. If anybody doesn't know. Yeah. At this point, if you don't know where do you live? Um, but so when I, when I was younger, I went up to, um, take the ASVAB and all that stuff to, for the Navy. And, um, I did pretty well on the ASVAB and I remember they're like, Hey, we want you to take this other test for submarines. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. Like submariners, you guys are amazing people, but you gotta be a certain kind of guy to want to do that. So 100%. I said, yeah, I'll take the test. And then I drew like a picture of Homer Simpson or some shit in the shaded <laughs> boxes. Nailed and they're it. like, yeah, you didn't do well on that. I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Darn. Too bad. Um, Dang. Yeah. <laughs> then they told me, they sent me home, told me I had diabetes, which I didn't. And uh, they, they so, called back, good go luck. On? Or good news, you don't have diabetes. I'm like, yeah, you guys are fucked up. So, and that's I weird. never went back. <laughs> but yeah, I think you have to definitely have a certain personality. Yeah. I heard they yeah. eat good though, but... Uh, Right. I've heard that as well. Um, yeah. When you go to Bud's, now this is kind of important, I think. Uh, every So if you listen to podcasts or you read or you see interviews with people that um, that are, are successful in things like comedy and music and 
I don't know, all kinds of other things, buds or whatever, they go in there with no backup plan. Like, this is it. I'm throwing everything in there. And you had that kind of attitude that, like, that's all I want, obviously. I'm, I don't want to be a submariner. I, this is it. Do you, do you think that gives people an edge when there's nowhere for them to go otherwise? You got to burn the boats, right? You, uh, <laughs> if you're going <laughs> to... Well, I mean, yeah. think about it. If you're if you're going to do that kind of job, you better be all in. Like, I mean, just think about Mike Monsoor who jumped on a hand grenade to save his his, his his buddies. Like, that's think about doing that yourself for one second, and like, you have to have that kind of <laughs> in. You know, this isn't a joke. So the instructors make sure that you really want to be there, and you have to prove it every day, or you go away. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of. I guess if you have the mentality of. I can never go. I, I don't. I can't do anything else. I'm all in on this. Um, yep. That probably has to probably has to help. I would think there's folks that go in there. They're like in the middle of being cold and wet. They're like, you know, I could. I don't know. I could. I could probably be a machinist mate on a ship or something like that. Um, <laughs> if that creeps in, I would assume you're probably done. I assume so. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. You said the attrition rate is eighty percent. Job's not for everybody, but there are. We couldn't do our job without all the other jobs as well in the Navy, you know, and uh, along with any of the armed forces. Yeah, you can't can't do it all by yourself just because you're a SEAL. You need everybody. So there's nothing wrong with um, people who don't make it through. It was just something that I really wanted. It was what, I mean, that's what drives me. What wakes you up in the morning? What would you be willing to die for? What is your passion? That was my passion. I didn't want to go to college. Um, I wanted to learn that. And serve my country and you're in class 246 which might be one of the most famous classes ever <laughs> that that they're well, you're all over the internet that class yeah there was a book done on our class yeah there was a picture book done called uh, the only day it was yesterday yeah i actually tagged you in something today um on instagram there were you in the picture uh I didn't see it yet, but I'm in a lot of yeah, the pictures. It's, it's a great book. I like. I, at first, we were a little weirded out, like the guy following around by uh, with the camera. But mm-hmm. I mean, we were all really glad he did because we got a bunch of great pictures out of it. <laughs> now that we're a little bit yeah. older, looking back, it's cool. It's a great book. Yeah, it's right before. I think it's right before your graduation. The picture he posted today. You guys are all sitting around getting ready to do a prank or, or you're imitating instructors or something like that. It's uh it's a pretty funny picture. I, I couldn't tell you the pictures I've seen of you. I'm sure you look completely different than back then. Uh, I was looking for the bald spot on your head, you know, from the boat, but I didn't see that. From the boats rubbing the hair out. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's uh they definitely did that. I got some pictures somewhere. I got to find them. I got to pull them up, but definitely rubbed the during hell week five and a half days of no sleep and then when i was out out in san diego working the west coast contract for the dogs there was a lot of guys um and they like to talk everybody's else's class had it easy right there's everybody jacking each other um my one uh handler his he was in class 278 they called him class 27 skate the he's like oh yeah but your class everybody had it easier but it's just not true, correct? No, that's correct. We were a summer class, so we would get <laughs> some crap no, over that. Correct. But 
<laughs> we uh during after our Bud's Hoe t-shirt says hammer class because they definitely make up for it just because oh yeah it's not a winter class i mean the water's always cold out there pretty much they can make you hype mm-hmm. out if you sit in that water long enough and then uh, uh like i was saying a while ago the boats on the head man they uh just doing those runs it literally rubbed the hair off the top of my head it was um not the most <laughs> pleasant experience I can, I, when you hear the bell ring, you understand why. Like, yeah. So when I, my time out there and working that contract, there was a few uh, classes going on a couple hell weeks and watching the, the guys run the boats over to Chow and back. Just, it just looked miserable. I was 42 years old at the time. I was like, oh, you poor sons of okay. bitches. It was. I think the first time they ever put, I put the boat on my head, the instructors must have filled it up with sand. And man, I remember it was like, <laughs> this is, there's no way. Like, this is going to be impossible. And then I think it was just a mind game because we we ran with those dang boats for quite a long time. I think it was during Hell Week. There was the, one of the instructors on the bullhorn in the truck following us. It's, it's just pain. You know, you're just going for miles and miles with these boats on your head. Working as a team is teaching you teamwork and, you know, how to suck it up. But this instructor just kept saying, well, uh, bow to stern. But he would sing it, bow to stern. I can't even do it properly, but. It was driving everyone crazy. Like <laughs> it was driving everybody crazy. He just wouldn't stop, and you're just all with all that pain and him blaring that stupid song in your ear. It was um, just great. <laughs> yes, yeah, very sadistic. I like it. You graduate. Yeah. You get out of buds. Um, you go east to Team Four. Were they having you fill out a wish list back then of teams? Was that your number one back then? We did have a wish <clears throat> wish list. I honestly had hadn't even thought about it until we pretty much were like, "Hey, where do you want to go?" I just kind of looked around to some of the, my best friends in the class, and I asked, like, "Hey, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going?" And a lot of guys were going east coast, and that's where we went. It's funny because I've heard a lot of guys talk, and they're like, "Yeah, I I end up at Team Four, but I had all odd number teams I picked. I don't know how I ended up over there." Um, yeah, that happens. Some people are like, yeah, I don't know why we do that. That's why it's called a wish list, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you do uh, two platoons, I believe, at Team 4. We'll we'll jump ahead here. We'll get into dog the dog part of it. So if I remember reading, in 2006, you were on a workup, and that's the first time that dogs are introduced to you. You want to talk about how that was brought up? Sure. I was at a SEAL Team 4. We were doing some urban training. I guess in between one of the runs, um, a handler with his canine had shown up and wanted to show us all the demonstration of what the dog's capabilities were. And so we had a whole task unit with the guys out there, maybe quite a few fellows, 60, 60 guys. That was the first time I ever got to see the dog. We basically put a decoy in a suit, had the decoy run. I think it was my... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was my good buddy named Josh Morton. He uh, it took off running in the suit. Handler lets the, de- the dog go and he tackles him. He eats shit, and the whole everybody starts laughing at him. So it was a huge, you know, laugh fest. Seeing your buddy getting taken down by a dog, but it it was impressive as well. It's just how fast he caught up to him. That was my first, I guess, experience with what a working dog was capable of. But I, I didn't have any. Um, I had no idea I was actually going to become a hater, handler later on in, the, in my career. They were telling you this is something that's coming or because 
you know, like you, like you said in the book, the Navy doesn't move fast. You guys are probably like, uh, okay, yeah, we'll see this in 2020. I think um, it had just started to But were to they grow telling once. you, yeah, we're just starting this? Yeah, pretty much. It would have just started to grow, and you know, some guys might have believed in the program. Some guys might not have believed in it until they actually saw the value of the dogs. And then once you see it, you can't really deny what it is. You know, it's a valuable tool. So eventually, <clears throat> I think everybody started having their own canine programs. Yeah, and this is this is something uh, I've talked about in some other episodes that I that um, people might be surprised about, and you might be surprised about this too, um, or I don't know, maybe not. So that's 2006. In 2000, end of 2010, um, I was the head trainer at the police department that I worked at. We had a friend who had a has a company that was providing. Um, role players and things for East Coast Salk. And he said, hey, the canine guys are going to be there with their trainer. Would you like to come over and spend a couple days and meet them? Awesome, right? So mm-hmm. me and two of my guys, we go over there to uh, that base there. Um, teams come in, the, you know, they use the dogs. So this is, like I said, late 2010. The East Coast had the program there for a few years at this point. Fast forward to when I go work the the contract for Cobra Canine out on the West Coast, end of October of 2013, the program is only a year, two years, maybe two years old at that point on the West Coast, and they had no idea how to use the dogs. Um, Hmm. Not the dog guys, but I always tell the story. We were out on San Clemente, and we're doing this thing and this operation at night one night, and they're they're trying to find a guy. And I said to the chief of the platoon, I said, hey, chief, why don't you use the dog to find him hiding in there? And he goes, why would I do that? And I was stunned by that because now at this point, they're seven years into this. I, I was really shocked at that point uh, that they had uh, how, the difference in the coasts and you guys, you know, and then and Dev Group obviously was way far ahead as far as how they were using dogs at that point. Um, is that something that surprises you? Yeah, it does. But I mean, I guess just some people are more willing to accept things than others. I didn't hear, I didn't hear too much about the other dog programs as well. Get into the dev group dog program here in a second. But um, in around the fall of 2007, you had screened uh, to, to go to uh, the training team there in at dev group. And um I've listened to a lot of guys in other shows and stuff talk about that. Once you pass that and you get selected, they talk about moving upstairs where you take your stuff and move it up, um, up into your, wherever the squadron or whatever you're going to go to and put it in your locker and everything. Is there any kind of moment there for you to reflect on the accomplishment you did just did? Or is it like, Hey guys, let's go. We got, we got to work. We got training. We got to do this, this, this. Is it just, go from the beginning it's go from the beginning might have had a couple seconds yeah a little pat on the <laughs> back <laughs> but it was uh but it was what i loved doing i didn't want to stop to celebrate i was it was an honor to even be around them you know glad i squeaked by and that was it's an honor to be selected and be around there so it wasn't any 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 stopping just all all going so up to this point uh, as just as a team four guy and then going through this, what had this 
this part of your career met your expectations? I mean, has you're like, hell yeah, this is exactly what I signed up for. Yeah, my first deployment with Team Four was mostly <clears throat> security, personal security, so PST. And that was a little slow. Uh, my second deployment was to Baghdad, and <laughs> we did a lot of work in Sadr City, and it was it was definitely. Hmm. The op tempo was great. You hear that mini gun go off quite a bit in Solder City. There was a lot of bad guys around there. So uh, on the drives in is what I mean. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was just constant. Um, yeah. So you get over there, you, your first deployment, you're not a dog guy. You're an assaulter. Um, so coming into dev group, you're a, you know, I, I would assume a pretty good pistol guy, pretty good rifle guy. Um, how, what did they do to make you better? Training and the, uh, I guess the quality and the amount of training. It's just nonstop. Uh, I like to refer, it's like a, uh, buzz for seals. They're, they already know you're not going to quit. So it's all performance and they just, uh, you learn quite a bit. I mean, how do you get better at anything? You just do it repetition over and over and over again. And that's what we did. And if you weren't making the cut, then you just kind of went away, and um, it happens. So, so for example, like your pistol, your pistol shooting, did they did they have to? Did you have to change anything? Did they like, hey man, your your left hand is not try this? Did, was there little quirks, or was it just reps that made it better? Just reps. We were pretty much using the same instructor quite often. We would have other instructors every once in a while come in, but there's certain people that we would use, and they're amazing obviously what they teach so they would clean clean up whatever issues they saw they watched you pretty good and uh it's all about perfection building that muscle memory so from the very beginning it's all perfect and then once you have it down i mean even to this day if i haven't been to the range in quite a while i'll dry fire it. i'll just work on my pistol draw as slow as possible and touch points and my points of performance and my where do I want to move slow and where do I want to move fast? And I just walk it through nice and slow and build that muscle memory. And then before you know it, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. What is your pistol these days? Slacking. <laughs> I make it to the range every <laughs> once in a while. I got to – now I make it to the range every once in a while, but not like obviously like I used to. I've been trying to get into uh, some shotgun shooting. I have a very good friend of mine who uh, just world – he just won world uh, sporting play championship. He's awesome. I hang out with him and he's teaching me shotgun, trying to get into that. But I shoot pistol rifle here and there still. It's always fun to get back on the gun. Do you have a preferred pistol these days? I like the Glock. Switched over to the Glock for a while. I'm always open to new uh, suggestions as well, but I don't, uh, I don't try to anything too new. I'll, I need to get back out there more, I guess. Yeah, um, it's Texas. Can't you just go outside and just shoot, like, randomly out back of your house? Well, in some places you can. In a lot of places you can. Yeah. But not where I live, per se. <laughs> they might get a little angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where, where Ted lives in Tulsa, it's a it's uh, a lot of gunfire, and it's not just oh, yeah. regular <clears throat> dudes out there shooting. No, I, I live where Live PD is filmed in Tulsa, except I live in, like, a not-a-bad area. So And the kennel's there, too. Our dogs are super desensitized yeah. to gunfire. Yeah, no. You yeah. could shoot in my backyard. Nobody would know. And I live three minutes from nice. downtown. <laughs> <I've> been, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've been trying to get into bow hunting. 
So I'm trying to get back into hunting, and if I'm going to do it, I want to do it with my bow. And like I said, sporting clays, my buddy, has made me quite a profici- more proficient shotgun. That's yeah. I've never shot sporting clay. Um, it'd be interesting. There's a, actually fun. a place maybe like ten minutes from my house. Uh, I should do it. Um, but yeah, I, I end up shooting a bunch of pistol. That's the 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 agency, the department where I have my uh, commission now has a pretty nice shooting facility. So, and I can go out there anytime Good. and shoot. So I go out and shoot steel every once in a while. It's nice. Um, yeah. All right. So you get Steel's your, your, oh yeah, it's great. Uh, I'm surprised how many people don't utilize it. It's such like an instant gratification. Um, 100%. Steel, yep. steel targets is perfect for that human psyche. It's, it's like a, a pretty genius invention. Um, Immediate feedback. So you get your, <laughs> ding, ding. yeah. Oh yeah. Until you, yeah. I got a ricochet into my nutsack once that, that kind of. So, oh, but, uh, that does it. What happened? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, did it, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. If I got a frag fragment back and hit me right in the nuts, I was like, Hmm. Yeah. That really hurt. Yeah. Like, really bad. Yeah. I had a buddy <laughs> of mine do that and it swole, it swole up, I guess, humongous. It was funny. He was a real smart guy. We used to always give him crap for it, but it, he did the same thing. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> my first time shooting an well, MP5, I put it on full auto at the range and started shooting steel. And man, we took some splash back, and the guy's like, "Stop, stop!" I'm like, okay, maybe not <laughs> shoot the steel so close with full auto. <laughs> right. No shots to the nuts. MP5s though. are Thank fun God. to shoot. They're fun. Yeah, right. hit you right in the balls. Um, you're you get a deployment with Dev Group. You're over there. Um, and I'm going to ask you something that, that, well, there's one thing that I was fascinated. We, I have to back up because I completely forgot to bring this up. I was fascinated to learn. Well, you know what? Never mind. We'll do it going forward because it's part of your training. But um, so what a lot of people don't know until we have interviewed um, Benito and then now uh, Mike and some other folks is to learn that there are, SEAL team, dev group dog handlers that aren't SEALs. They're MAs. Um, I, when I first learned that, I was like, really, man, that's interesting. Um, but what I'm curious about is how do they decide, um, okay, we're going to use both. Uh, what, where does that go? I, I would think there would be consistent where we're going to use all team guys or we're going to use just MAs. How, how does that work? Yeah, that wasn't my decision. That was up to the head shed. But I think it was a great fit. Both those guys, Benito and Mike Toussaint, Benito Wilson, they're great guys. Uh, they knew dogs better than we did. As SEALs, we were operators. So they did, might not have had the SEAL skills, but they had the dog handling skills. So they were great, man. A lot of those MAs got into some firefights, and they did some amazing things. Obviously, Mike got the Silver Star. And, I mean, they're just good to go they they go through a selection process as well and uh yeah they're very 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 great it's funny because we've asked both of them when they were on uh when they went through the selection process i said were you a gun guy i mean were you a good shooter and they're like i thought i was until they get in there and <laughs> yeah even i said that yeah through training and all that stuff to get there i was like okay because i was i was a decent shot uh pretty pretty dang good and when i got there some guys were out shooting me and I'm like, okay, still, it just never stops. But, uh, yeah, having those guys around, I mean, just, uh, working with those guys was great. I mean, just the, 
the friendship that we built too is, and that was some of the best times of my life. <laughs> Working, we all went through the uh, school together, dog handling school together, spent all that time together, all deployments together. So, yeah, man, some great times. So when you were out there the first time with the dogs, um, there was two dogs out there that you mentioned, Falco and Balto. Um, you were learning kind of to to work maybe to take over Falco. Um, prior to, and we can get into an incident that happened with him, but it, it was interesting. You, you made a comment in the book that some people say, yeah, you know, randomly, yeah, the dog saved our ass. But, but you can actually say that. Like, when, when you get over there, how, how immediately evident is to you uh, the value of that dog when it comes to saving your guys? It was immediate. I said on my first rotation there, I saw the value. One of the things in the book is I remember somebody saying, hey, raise your hand. We were in the team room. Somebody said, hey, raise your hand if dogs ever saved your life. And almost everybody raised their hand. I mean, everybody had a good dog story to tell if not multiple dog stories to tell. And once I saw the value, um, I was a big dog guy as a kid, love dogs. In the SEAL teams, you have, you're not only a SEAL, you have collateral duties, extra responsibilities, whether it's skydiving or breaching, whatever you're drawn to. I was drawn to dogs. As soon as I saw like, I mean, Jesus, the amazing things they did, I was all in if I could, I know it was a lot of extra work, but it was great. It was something I knew I would love to do. And if I could be put in the position to help save one of my guys, then of course, perfect. And it also made me a more valuable asset and that if you're more valuable, you'll go on more operations. Right. So it's a win-win. Ah, ah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> in a pool of good shooters, right. you got to be better than a good shooter. And that was a hell of a pool. I mean, imagine. Yeah. I, that was oh, a, well, yeah. I mean, everybody's the fucking good I shooter. Mean, I got to do something else. Dude, <laughs> I, mean, I say it all the time, but it's like, I sure, I wrote uh, this story is about Cairo and our bond together. And it's a piece of history, and I want to get his story out there. But the amazing guys that I was surrounded, or I grew up, grew up around just some of the best people in the world. I can't say that enough. It was, um, yeah, I was basically raised by some pretty great people. <laughs> I was an 18 year old kid that time in history if you think about it that that you were there with those exact guys at those exact times it's um it, it definitely is because it's such a small community it's definitely a time in history for that type of thing um talk about if you would falco and what kind of a special dog that dog was okay so my first deployment falco was one of the new dogs we would have been working through some uh I guess bark and hold issues when they approach a suspect and go to a bark to, to, you know, hold them at bay. If the dogs do that overseas, they're just going to end up getting shot. So it took them a little while to come around and get that out of them. We didn't want them to, there's no reason to get a dog killed if you don't have to. So, but he ended up getting, he ended up, yeah, there's no reason to get a dog killed. So we weren't sure. We were a little worried, uh, but he ended up getting, coming around he's a smart dog and once he got a real bite he he turned into a monster i mean he did so many great things ah oh, man i could just yeah but end up one night we went uh after some bad guys two of them ended up hiding in some sort of a ditch i wasn't on the actual operation i was 
on the in the vicinity, but I wasn't there exactly. But um, they were using the dog out front as they were going through the field online. Um, Falco ends up using his nose, getting to the targets, engaging them. As soon as he did, they uh, they shot him a couple times through his torso. Uh, but in doing so, they, they showed their hand. It allowed us to engage them. We neutralized the threat. And uh, just unfortunately, Falco didn't pull through. But he was treated just like any of the team members. They, uh, we held a, a memorial service for him there on the base. And he goes up in the team room. And we even have a, a special place for them at the command where we put their names on the wall. Did, um, did yeah. his handler then get to keep his ashes? He did, yeah. It was a tough blow on all of us, but it was definitely a tough blow on him, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I'm really happy to hear that they that they let the guys take that. You know. Um, oh, of course. Not that they wouldn't. Might run you know. Right. Yeah. When you get back, it's time for you to become a dog guy. Um, they the dog. So the buy trip that goes over to buy Cairo and a, and a few other dogs um, is Don Christie and Jim Haggerty, who are old school legends in canine. Um, yeah. They're working with Adler Horst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Yes. So yep. they go over to – they get the buy trip. They get the dogs, bring them back. You described Cairo as affable but not boisterous. What do you mean by that? <laughs> It was all work. So there's two dogs that I was kind of looking at. I had no idea what I was looking at. I was a, you know, I was a seal. I wasn't a dog handler. You know, all the, that's what we had the trainers there for. Those guys, they went on the buy trip, selected the dogs. They selected a great group of dogs. And then when we got back, they basically rotated all the new handlers, whether it be MA or seal through all the variety of different dogs from the trip. And, you know, all, every dog, just like every human has different personalities. It was on them to see who's what was a proper fit. Uh, like I said, there was another dog named Bronco, and he just seemed a little more, I guess, playful. Like I said, I didn't know what I was talking about, but they were both great workers. All the dogs were great workers. Cairo might have just been a little bit more serious, down to business, and I don't know. Ended up, uh, I mean, it could have gone either way. I didn't really care. I remember they called me into the office, and they're like, hey, you're getting Cairo. I'm like, okay, cool, perfect, great. Yeah, having those two dudes pick out dogs for you and then pair them or help pair them, yeah, you definitely were on the fast track to success. I'll put it that way, for sure. No doubt about it. They it was the best decision because when so Cairo ends up getting shot as well in a similar situation to Falco, and um, I ended up getting Bronco for a little bit as a replacement dog. And our relationship, it was obviously we had to grow it on deployment and. My dog had just been shot, so, you know, it was a little rough. But mine and Cairo's relationship, I think that was just the perfect fit. So those guys are just they're really glad we had those guys around to make the right decisions. And it worked out pretty well. So, yeah, you you go to do your so quote-unquote basic training out there um, with the Reavers, Mike and Dave Reaver out at Adler Horse. They've been around for, um, doing the work out there. Uh, was it like drinking from a fire hose for you or did it kind of just oh, yeah. click pretty <laughs> well? It, I mean, certain things. So, you know, big, bad Navy SEAL, 
you're surrounded by a bunch of grab assers like come on man they're gonna give you how do you get to communicate with a dog use your voice right you got to show some emotion so in the beginning for me it's like good boy fooey like you know (laughs) ah that's not gonna work out well so for me to no get up and go start like clapping my hands and looking like an idiot in front of all of my teammates who were definitely gonna give me some crap later it was a it took me a minute to come around. I, I still have a problem with that. I, as long as I've been Do doing you? this, I, oh yeah, I still have a problem doing that. And mm. yeah, I still, <laughs> like, I don't care. Certain, I don't, I sound, I, I sound ridiculous. I still have a problem doing it. And then I'll go, we'll get yeah. some dogs in at the kennel and I don't do it. And they're like, and they kind of look at me. They're like, Hey, <laughs> don't you know how to talk yeah. to me? And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> so, I just I can't help it these days. I get excited if that dog is starting to do what I want him to do or her to do. I just I don't care. I don't care who sees it. I'm like, yep, whatever. What are you gonna do? Make fun of me? Cool. <laughs> you, you come handle him then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, here, here's the leash. No, I'm good. No, we're good. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. when you're. Uh, and we see, we see this as a, uh, Ted and I talk about this a lot at our, uh, high risk deployment seminars that we teach. So when you were looking at Cairo, um, you have Cairo and Bronco and you're, you're watching the other dogs. Are you, if you look back at it, are you subconsciously or maybe consciously comparing them to Falco? Cause he was what you knew from deployment. I would say that's a pretty safe assumption, but I still didn't really know what I was looking at or talking about. I was fairly new to the dogs, So but I'd say that's pretty fair. Yeah, we have we find a lot of guys uh, the police side that compare the dog that's in front of them to the dog that that they worked before. Um, and as you you found when you after Cairo got shot when you were in Bronco, they're different dogs, right? They they work differently. It it may be even different. slightly different, but that slight difference is a huge difference, actually. Yeah, I I learned to read my dog just like the guys on the team. We work together so much in the dark on nods from the back I know who every person is that's the same thing with the dog we work together so much not only myself but every other professional on the team could pretty much learn to read the canine everybody was there to work and we knew how important the job was so it's cool but you're right every dog is different so to pick up like Cairo's little uh, you would see the head throw and I'm like alright there's something and he would if he's working working towards a source he'd start helicopter tailing and that was his little telltale sign to where cool let's let's recall him back once we figure out certain direction he's going unless he has to go get in a fight you know Uh, knowing that change behavior is that's it that's that's the number one thing that will keep you alive you know um that that change behavior and i love it when a guy can tell me what you know i well i knew he was i knew he was in human odor because of this or i knew he was in explosive odor because of this um i'm like yeah you got it. You're, if if you can easily tell me that, you, you know, like the helicopter tail versus um, mm-hmm. my my one dog that I trained for the department, we knew when we were tracking when he was absolutely on the track because he would he would roll his tail up so you would look at his butthole. So we, were, we always said he was Perfect. full butthole. That's how we knew he was doing <laughs> nice. it. Nice. <laughs> Follow this butthole. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> awesome. Right. Uh, but I mean, I mean, right. Sure, a lot of people can relate. Like my buddy Jared, he talks to his dog like when the feed time. He knows exactly what she's saying. Like I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Get to 
you could just read your dog and know what it's saying to you sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, this is what I was really shocked to learn. Um, skydiving with the dogs. We all, you know, everybody sees those videos of, of uh, special operations dogs skydiving. I didn't know because when I was out on the West Coast, we did nothing like that. There was a moratorium against um, fast roping for us at the time we were there because there was some sort of uh, uh, lawsuit about a coupler that they couldn't use. So there was n- we weren't doing any fast roping. There was no jumping with dogs. There was nothing. I was shocked to learn in your book that the handler necessarily isn't the person who takes the dog out the plane. Well, really. Dogs are so valuable, as you know, it's hard to come across a dog that'll do all that work and not only go and bite and in a dark room at night, he's got to do the skydiving and slick floors and helicopter rides, gunfire, blah, you know, all that. And then to, if you want to get a dog like that hurt, it's like, oh man, it's hard to replace, you know? So we're as safe as possible. Um, like I said, I didn't, I was, I might've been afraid of heights. Let's just throw it out there. Uh, <laughs> I didn't push my luck when it. I didn't push my luck when it came to jumping, but some guys, we call them sky gods. They love jumping. And I trusted those guys to strap Cairo to them any day. I trusted them. I trust those guys to strap any member of my family to them. <laughs> so they would jump with them just to keep it a little safer. You know, if we break the dog's leg, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why would you do that when you just strap him to, you know, who, him and a little bit more proficient? <laughs> Yeah, that 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 was surprising to me that you know they pick a better jumper, the best jumper, if he's not the handler. Yeah, you go with that. Makes sense. Um, I guarantee you, yeah. reading that book or listening to this right now, most people don't even know that. Um, yeah, I can see that. I, that's one of my things I regret. Oh, not jumping with him. I wish I would have been able to go to the school to, to allow me to strap him to myself. I jumped out of the plane with him, but I really wish I would have got to like yeah. strap my boy to my chest and. Man, that would have been cool. But we still got to do jumps together, which was still awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty sweet because most guys don't get to do that. Um, Right. When you were going through school with him, um, did did he excel at everything equally or did he have his favorites? Or were there some things you had to work on a little bit more maybe than the other? I got pretty fortunate when it came to him. since my job was to be a shooter and a dog handler, you um, the seals will usually get maybe the better dogs because the, and also the MAs just kind of know how to handle the dogs better than we do. Let's just be honest. Uh, and they're uh, able to position themselves where they might be able to take a dog offline and not be a shooter but handle the dog right. So with Cairo, man, I was lucky. The only bad thing I would say he had was bad teeth. He had periodontal disease towards the end his breath stank but he was a low maintenance dog um maybe when he started getting some real bites and i didn't stay on top of his odor uh explosive odor he uh you know he would slack possibly once they get seasoned enough and i think i read in there that animals were always an issue with that dog with cairo animals were not but yeah it was on one of our first ops together i wasn't really sure so he you know we have access to uh, quite a few facilities and all the training we, we, we can imagine. So I'm like, we train for everything. Put in our work. That was my life. I loved it. <laughs> so it was early on in deployment, and one of the first missions was we opened the gate, and it was a whole courtyard full of sheep. And I'm like, oh, man, that's like the one <laughs> thing. Like, hey, guys, we need to train today, but we're going to get 
we need you to order a hundred sheep. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. So <laughs> what? What are we doing? Uh, but I ended up just like, all right, staying flexible, right? Just like everybody else on the team. I hoisted him up, just kind of put him on my backpack or on my shoulder, like a backpack, hoisted him over. And I just kind of carried him through the sheep as quiet as possible. And then we just went from door to door to door, made ourselves valuable. But Cairo wouldn't have done anything knowing him like I know him now. He uh, he, he didn't care about animals. He had a dog try to attack him on target once. It didn't turn out so well. It's an interesting story. It's pretty sad for me. But uh, He also got attacked by a, a bulldog after he ended up getting retired. Uh, I guess he got a little toy aggressive. And he got the bulldog got him on his arm a little bit, and Cairo didn't retaliate at all. He, he didn't care about other animals. He just had that look, apparently. Hey, come fuck with me. Uh, <laughs> you know, come yeah. bite me in the he leg like a wolf. or whatever. For sure. He was scary. When I first had him at handler school, he looked like a wolf. He's a, he is a working dog, as you know. Uh, he's brand new at handler school. You got done working for the day. I don't really know you. Like, you don't know me. I don't know you. But he's on, he's on the bed with me because we're – we're building that relationship. <laughs> All of a sudden, he just starts growling. And I'm, watch, I'm on the bed watching TV. He's at the foot. And he's up, like, maybe looking at the top left corner. And he's growling at something. And I'm like, and this, this went on for quite a while. Kind of freaked me out because I'm like, well, what, what, do I, what do I do? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands kind of thing. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Eventually, <laughs> I was just told him, <laughs> do I touch him? Do I, uh, a brand new man, like, you look like a wolf. Um, but it was all good. He, I, I ended up just like getting off the bed. I gave him the go search command or whatever, and eventually he just kind of stopped. But it, that was weird. When you guys you deploy for the first time, uh, you guys go overseas uh, that first deployment. I know you said in the in the book it's, it was in really busy, like in a, a crazy op tempo. Um, was did he just hit the ground running? Was there a couple little quirks that you had to maybe? figure out with them that were different from back in training no i wouldn't say there were any issues with him if there were any issues it would be on my end just getting used to handling a dog and operating with a dog and where to make myself valuable but as for him no i, I never had really any issues a lot of guys uh, in the police world like to say like guys that aren't canine handlers like to tell the canine guys hey your dog Rocky, he he loves me. He likes me more. Did you ever get any of your guys in your squadron saying that shit? Like, hey, Cairo, come over here. Cairo likes me better than he likes you, that type of stuff. <laughs> Probably got some guys giving me crap. <laughs> he was um, he was one of those dogs that could throw a switch. He could turn it on and turn it off, man. When we put on the vest, it was work, and he was good. Um, but when, he, you know, not all dogs, when you take the vest off, can turn that switch off. He was one of the dogs that could. He was a... Uh, he was a leaner. He would go around all the guys and go from guy to guy to guy and lean up against you. And by the end of it, you're covered in his hair. And like I said, he had terrible breath. <clears throat> he'd jump up in your arms. He'd put his arms in your arms. And then he'd put his mouth right in your face and just pant that hot, steamy breath in your face. But no. every, even the guys that were allergic to him would play with him. You know, they, everybody. He was a good boy. Good dog. I always like to ask the guys uh, that, that go on that that go out and operate with the dogs is um, what was your loadout like then? Did Had you switched to like an MP7 or anything like that? Did you change based off of handling the dog, change your loadout? I did switch to an MP7 for a while. 
and um, I think it's a good weapon for the right circumstances. And one night I found myself in a circumstance where I needed my a little bit longer range. I needed a, mm. you know, two, two, three, and um, I, I never carried the MP7 after that one just because it was a lesson learned. I needed a little more distance. And just handling the dog, it was just a little bit easier with the MP7, you know, because it's a smaller gun. But yeah, didn't work out sometimes. The other thing you mentioned in the book a couple times is, uh, you know, I hooked him up to the hip lead, hooked him up to the hip lead. So when I got into canine, we used to make uh, the dogs had to come back to us and finish and run around us uh, and then come to a finish. It was USPCA stuff. Um, I didn't even hear about hip leads until probably 2009, um, nine or 10, maybe, uh, at that time there was some CAG dog handlers that started a company and they were making them. And that's the first ones we got. Um, now a lot, a lot of people use them really never practice with them, never shoot with them, never wear them guys working the street with them. Did you, did you have to alter the way you shot and did things based off the dog on that hip lead? I just always was, I knew he was there. And just because he listened so well doesn't mean that he might not jerk me at any time. So I just always knew that. I mean, if I had to get in a gunfight, then that's what it was. I was just always cognizant if he was to jerk me, where is that round going to go? Is there a teammate that it can go into in front of me? And uh, I would try to put myself in the position where that, that didn't happen to where I had the soldiers in front of me to take care of any threats. And I would stay with the group of guys that I need to stay with to utilize the dog and, you know, watch him. But as far as changing my ways of shooting, no, no. Nah. Did yours have a bungee part to it? No, I just made some one inch and put a clasp on it. Yeah. Half hitched it. Yeah. Pretty simple. I didn't have anything too crazy. There's some really good ones out there now, but I kept it pretty simple. It was mostly just on nods. You can't always be looking down at the dog. If I had him hooked up right next to me, I could always feel where he's at. If he's not touching me, he's pulling me maybe a little bit. I always, always just could kind of feel him when, when I wasn't able to look down at him. Yeah, that's smart. That's really good. The one thing that handlers will tell everybody, and Ted and I, we get phone calls all the time about it, that first bite. The first no. time you, the dog that you're working gets to bite somebody. Oh, yeah. Um, then I get pictures. It's like, oh, you broke your cherry. <laughs> you want to talk about his yeah, first old- bite? Sure. Yeah, you never know if your dog's going to engage, so it's a good feeling when it does. All that work you put into it and just watching your boy engage somebody that needs to be engaged. That's great. Uh, on Cairo's first bite, uh, just a target full of bad guys. and We were doing a call up that night where you are outside of the building and you're telling everybody to come out with their hands up. And you go from there. Uh, I guess with some of the women we called out, like, hey, is it empty? tell everybody to come out some guy in there that just wasn't complying. So we used escalation of force. Eventually the call was made to send the dog. So the team leader told me to send him in. I sent Cairo in. He actually went into, so, you know, entered the first room, which was probably a small kitchen area and two medium sized rooms to the left and the right of that. Um, Cairo went off into the right room to begin with. It's hard for me to see, you know, how we got guys covering down everywhere. Um, I guess he went in there and did his sweeps. One of the women had left a, their infant in the room for some reason. Um, I guess they just forget about their children over there. Uh, 
Luckily, hmm. I mean, you know, these dogs, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, sometimes I mean, they, they speak with their mouth. A lot of dogs will pick up pillows that they're, you know, they're getting, they're working. They're getting antsy. They're getting, you know, they'll, they'll pick up pillows or something to bite blankets or whatever. Um, Cairo did his sweeps of the room. I guess he went up to the baby, sniffed him, didn't do anything, just knew he wasn't a threat somehow. Immediately left that room, bolted across to the other room, uh, passed a couple women and he engaged the guy. I guess the guy was probably using the women as shields. The women probably left the baby in there. I don't know. Who knows why? Um, Cairo ended up, ended up getting a real good bite. I, uh, we were able to subdue the guy without uh, killing him. So we questioned him. And When I got into the room, I remember looking over into the corner. You know, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff throughout my career as a SEAL. Um, we got rid of a lot of bad people. I look over in the corner and there's a, it looked like a red jello mold and it was congealed blood and it just didn't click in the beginning. It was just, I guess Cairo must have nut, struck an artery or nicked an artery and uh, it was just crazy to see coagulated blood over there and just the damage that the dog could do. It's like, wow, it must have been a really good bite. Yeah, you're like, that must have sucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> there was a lot of blood. The medic was earning his... Uh, he, he definitely kept him from bleeding out, so good on you. <laughs> yeah, good job. Um, yeah, it is crazy that, that first time, man, I remember my first time, my bite, I was so just, like, elated because I had worked a dog previously that had, I was one of those guys that worked a dog that we found out wouldn't bite. And um, okay. I had, I don't know, man, they made me work her for three years. I had probably 20 a year, 20 missed bites a year. Um so my Holy second wow. dog, his first bite, I, I went home and I was like, that, that now that's what fucking canine was. Um, <laughs> that's a good feeling. So yeah. you talked about, you talked a, a little bit earlier about Cairo getting shot on an op. Um, there's a lot that goes into that in, in the book. Um, I, I'm amazed because a lot of uh, working dogs that get shot don't survive. Um, especially getting shot with a rifle, um, and yeah. getting shot in the chest or in, in, you know, in the, in the torso and then in the leg, like he did, um, talk about when you get up to him, how, how his demeanor is, what, so real, what I'm amazed or fascinated by is, um, we had a dog shot at my police department that ended up dying. He got shot six times, but sorry, my, now my guy didn't have nods on either, but he could not find the wounds because of the dog hair. Now, granted it was a shepherd and not, not a mal, but um, I, th I think I read when you got there, your guys were already working on them. You want to talk about like the, the life-saving measures from the guys there and how the effect it had on him. Yeah, definitely. Um, scenario was similar scenario to Falco's, but uh, I saw him coming back to me and then it took, it took quite a while. I figured after, after the gunfire. So I figured something was wrong. Uh, Finally, when I saw him, I started making my way towards him. And when I did, he just collapsed. And I've never seen him obviously just collapse like that. <laughs> so I immediately thought he was dead. Um, like you said, the, the dogs don't survive those kinds of gunshots most, most of the time. It's just such a big round. Um, I got to him. What amazes me is the um, the teamwork. I mean, I, I knew that the guys didn't need me on the, on the line in the firefight. I was able to get to him quickly, immediately. Um, not only that, 
another teammate of mine who happened to be a medic was smart enough to know that he wasn't needed. And I, and Cairo was needed or, or needed his help. Um, he made, he came back immediately and it's just, it's amazing to just remember that kind of teamwork where, you know, I had a medical kit and Cairo had his own medical kit. So as I'm pulling out, I pull out Cairo's medical kit as he's coming back off the line and as I'm handing it to him, he's ripping open all the gauze packages and I'm pulling off his vest and putting on his muzzle. As soon as I'm done with that, he's stuffing fingers into his chest. And I mean, like, I mean, just in time, cause like I said, Cairo was really chill and he had a really high pain tolerance for sure. Um, but eventually, I mean, having fingers shoved into your chest after being shot, he, he tried to, he yelped and he tried to get a little bit and I had that muzzle on just in time, just that, that teamwork. It was just, I would say if it wasn't for him, I mean, Cairo might not have made it. We, we definitely saved his life. I'm glad he came back to help because it was flawless. I am handing it to him and then he's ripping it open. I'm putting his vest or taking his vest off and getting his muzzle on. He's giving him medical assistance. And the whole time that's happening, the headshed is calling in a, the bird to come pick him up because he's treated just like any other teammate. Um, there was a medic that actually worked on him. The helicopters flew into a dangerous situation to pick up a dog. We didn't consider him a dog. They considered him a teammate. Uh, there was a guy on the bird that gave him medical assistance when he got back to base. Surgeons worked on him, you know, so there was no vet, veterinarian there. Um, once we were able to get him back to Bath, then we had the veterinary staff, you know, take care of him. I didn't think he was going to pull through the night. It's just uh, he didn't look so hot. And I laid there with him the entire night on the floor, and I just wanted to be there in case he didn't pull through. Uh, but he bounced back really quick. It was it was really kind of amazing to see kind of how quick he bounced back from that. The leg wound, it, it's amazing that they survived that because those big-ass arteries you can see in the leg there. Um, right. Did that uh, – was that a permanent injury as far as have a little, little noticeable – Slight limp or anything forever? I wouldn't say at first. I remember like towards the end of his career, maybe when I got him retired and I would throw the ball for him. You could definitely see a hitch in his step. Just a slight, slight hitch. That's pretty good though. A slight hitch, you know, all through all that. He does, he could, he deserved it. He could do whatever he wanted. Um, before we go to break yep. here, let's talk real quick about, so he gets flown out uh, to Germany, then to Lackland, goes through his, his uh, recovery. Let's talk about the day he got back to the kennel and your reunion with him. So I finished that deployment. He went to Lackland where they fully rehabilitated him. Did an amazing job. I had made it back home by then. Finally, probably doing some training. I finally heard that he was on his way back home. As soon as he got to the kennels, I went over and grabbed him up. And you could tell he missed me. He jumped right into my arms and gave me his... Good old Cairo breath right in my face. He was pretty. He was pretty happy. To see uh, they me. couldn't have fixed that for you. <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. Seriously. <laughs> no. Nope. Fuck you guys. Hey, nobody's perfect. <laughs> hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's perfect, right? Everybody's got to have something, and that was his thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It was a great reunion. It was great. That's awesome. That's a great. You can just see it. You know. We're gonna go ahead and take a break now. When we come back, uh, Ted is gonna talk about uh everything going forward after that the the big op and uh the rest of Cairo's career so uh enjoy the commercials listen to them don't skip them 
Look at the discount codes. We have an amazing sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a break real quick uh, and we're going to pay some bills and we're going to address some of our fantastic sponsors. Hits Canine Training Conference is going to be the first one. This is America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with some of the world's best instructors and Eric and I. You know, we're going to be teaching the scenario-based training seminar uh, that revolves around the HRD company that we also have. And, uh, you know, we're going to do the whole dog and pony show. Eric's going to tell us jokes, and I'm going to talk about case law. There are going to be other instructors that are going to be covering great topics from case law to admin to bite work to detection to tracking, everything in between for all working dogs. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2020 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona this year from August 18th to the 21st to hurry up and register. And I know all of you listening, wait to the last damn minute to to register. Don't do that because the price goes up. Go to HITS canine, that's letter K number nine, dot net, or call Jeff Barrett at 863-529-5113. Make sure you get signed up. Come to Scottsdale. I hear the hotel has a wave pool that you can surf in. So uh, I'm bringing my board shorts. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog one of the longtime sponsors of working dog radio from the beginning has been highland canine in north carolina tactical police canine aka highland canine in north carolina offers training seminars and consulting globally for police military and non-government agencies they provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning, so hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term uh, to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too. So it's pretty good, but it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. 
It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quickterm is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a discount on your first purchase, which is going to be 10%. Have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start? Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom, new kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, we are back uh, after the break uh, with Will Chesney, No Ordinary Dog, uh, talking about how we got to the point where we're handling Cairo. So, uh, Will, you did a couple of deployments handling Cairo. Cairo gets shot, recovers, come back, breathes his hot trash breath in your face, and, you know, is basically, you know, the perfect special operations dog. So the Navy had a deal where, you know, you were going to do two deployments, and they were like, yeah, you know, you're not going to handle anymore. You're going to do something else. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so it's uh, being a dog handler was just another collateral duty. Um, you only do that for a certain amount of time, and then you move on to other things whatever you're interested in. It was my time to move on. Uh, I went to, I got back, handed Cairo over to, he still stayed within the, in the squadron, so he was still within the family, which was great. I knew he was in great hands. Like I said, those MAs are amazing people. I knew they'd take care of him. Uh, so I dropped him off, and I am a shooter again, which is, you know, it's a good feeling. Um, babysitting a dog is a lot of responsibility, so sometimes it's fun to, just be a normal shooter again. Um, I ended up going to <clears throat> a school in Arizona, not a very fun school, but it was a school it was a definitely one that I needed to progress in my career. I ended up going with my best friend, Nick check. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> while we were there, yeah, we were just a couple of days in and all of a sudden I, I get a phone call from my team leader and he's like, Hey, got you a flight. We need you back. Go grab Cairo and be in the team room at this time cool i go back and i find my buddy nick and i'm like hey man we're getting called back and he's like no not not me which is really weird because it just doesn't happen that way and i says if we were being brutally honest like nick was a way better operator than i was like by hands down so like this is weird why are they why am i getting called and you're not like anyways who cares Ha ha, I make fun of you. I don't know what I said to him. Probably something stupid because that's what we do. And uh, I'm like, well, have fun being stuck here while I get to go do something fun. And well, leaving, I tried to check out. It was a, I, could, I, I was sitting in a couple different places. I couldn't find the right people to, to check out. So I was like, well, I got to go. I'm going to miss my flight. They'll, they'll call my boss and they'll explain the situation. So I just kind of left. And the next day, when somebody brought up like, Hey, where's your buddy at? My good old buddy, Nick uh, told everybody that I had quit. <laughs> so that was yeah. cool. <laughs> yes. Thanks man. Yeah. Awesome. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You guys went so, through buds together, right? <laughs> we went through a lot of things together. Yeah. Yeah. 
he used to he used to pants me in movie theaters like we were we were <laughs> fairly good friends like yeah he was a great great man excellent so yeah he got me on that one <laughs> <laughs> You quit. <laughs> yeah, I had to go I back to work, quit. bro. <laughs> you know, at this point, you knew something was up. So he didn't get recalled. You got recalled. You know, in the book, you talk about that there was a heightened sense of, like, priority, secrecy, and of, like, urgency. And at this point, you had not been briefed in on anything. I mean, something was going on, but we didn't know what it was. We were fairly busy all the time. Things like this happen quite often. Um, the person that could have gone, just um, some people had some personal stuff, so that's why they called me back because we just got back from deployment. We were fresh, and uh, it just made the most sense. You know, you come back, you get Cairo. You guys start doing some training. On April 10th, you're called into a room, and you're briefed in. And you kind of look around the room and you're like, what the hell is going on? So kind of talk about a little bit about that at about that point in time. Because you tell the story a little bit in the book about the guy that about the, the brass that was not the brass, but the the guy that was briefing you in was super detailed, was super um, on top of everything. He'd briefed you in on hundreds of times before and he was always on top of things and he was not that way at this point yeah things were a little vague in the beginning but eventually it was told to us and when it was the um it was very clear the amount of work all those people had put in it must have been their life as well because they were spot on yeah uh, yeah and you know we'll talk about (laughs) <laughs> we'll talk about those guys here in a second. But, you know, uh, for the people listening that don't know kind of where we're going with this, um, we're leading into um, the operation that found or ultimately killed Osama bin Laden. But the, the lead up into that, there's been books and movies and about the lead up into that, about how they found him and how what they used to find him and everything else. And the culmination of that is where this conversation kind of starts. So... And you mentioned his name in the book. I don't necessarily want to mention his name, but how how did he describe what was moving forward and what you were going to be training for? At first, it was just a little vague. We were just training, and remember, some of the guys had some rumors. Eventually, started floating around on maybe one of the rides to facility, like, "Hey, maybe we're going after UVL," and you know, but that's about it. And then eventually, it was revealed to us. But um, it was a just like any other day, I guess, uh, we, our training was always the same. Just who we were going after was different, and we knew the stakes might have been a little higher. We made sure all of our priorities were in order. I mean, guys wrote letters to their kids. You talk about that a lot in the book. You say, you know, it was it was no different. It was no necessarily higher risk than anything. I mean, you guys had done hundreds of things similar to this before. Um, it was necessarily not necessarily any higher risk, but the risk of failure was. We were all willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, but it was the risks are always that high. If I mess up any night, I could get one of my friends killed. So the risks were always high. We just. Um, yeah, I knew that he might have some some kind of something set up. A- HVID or suicide vests were pretty common back then. So Right. At some point, you guys are kind of introduced to the training facility. And that's one thing you talk about. What the, C- what the special operations and, and the intelligence community has determined where he was at. 
and they built you guys a mock compound basically to run the operation 9,000 times in a row and every permutation of it. We did a couple of runs. That's for sure. But, <laughs> we did a couple. I mean, we did a couple. We did a few runs, <laughs> a couple walkthroughs. And uh, right. I mean, honestly, everything that we tried to plan for, none of that happened. And we did a lot of runs. Trust me. Uh, right. It doesn't matter. The win, I mean, so think about it. Like, you're going after who you're going after, one of the most wanted in the world, if not the most. And the helicopter crashes, and you almost die. All the guys on that bird, even the pilots, weren't even phased. Didn't even skip a beat. It actually ended up being a better situation because they were inside then. You know, then the pilots did an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, landing that hell? Are you kidding me? Well, we'll like, talk about those just, dudes in a second, but yeah, those yeah. guys, <laughs> the, those guys are definitely gangster yeah. shit for sure. <laughs> Being able to pull that Damn kind of stuff off. And that's kind of one of the deals. So the walls um, that were built at the compound and the training compound um, were built out of plywood or, or some kind of something that allowed air to travel through it. I, I'm sure everybody has read or heard or whatever else during the actual operation. Um, one of the helicopters actually crashed because it got into its own rotor wash because it wasn't able to. And you guys had done that, I don't know how many times, a lot. And that was something that nobody was able to see. For, for see yeah, coming the, anyway. Right, I guess the helicopter lost lift. But right. you said the, they landed it pretty pretty safely. Everybody hopped dude, off, nobody was injured. And that pilot still was like, I can, I can, I can fly this. <laughs> I can That's get this out of here. That's how badass those guys are. Oh, I know. Seriously. He was like, "Dude, I can do this. I can get this out of here." <laughs> you really don't have yep. to, but <laughs> yep. no, there. <laughs> everybody has said the same thing about those guys, and everybody yep. in any branch in the military is like, "Oh, the 160th guys." Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you, you, you need to get somewhere in the middle of the night. <laughs> Them's your boys for sure. I'll uh, them but, any day. Yeah, for Me sure. Too. So. Um, you run all of these things. So during one of the um, one of the money reps, uh, the dog wasn't needed. Cairo didn't need to be out at this point. You guys were just running um, explosives. Uh, you were running breaching drills, and um, so you, you did what I yell I at my. <laughs> you did what I t- yell at my handlers for doing. They're like, "I'm just gonna put the fucking dog in the car. He'll be fine." And he, exactly. What did he do? So. Well, I mean, I guess back up a little bit and talk about like what happens when the dog hears gunfire and when he hears a breach. <laughs> they get a little excited, <laughs> put a little pep in the step, and he hated those headrests. I guess those Suburbans, you know, they piss a lot of dogs off. And <laughs> between the expo- explosions and the headrests, he um, oh, it was funny when I got back and my team leader looked at me and he's just looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, mm, fuck. <laughs> oh, I really messed up. Like, uh, luckily we were pretty busy on doing certain things or I would have gotten in trouble. And my team leader was awesome. Like, I love that guy. But <laughs> definitely uh, gave me a look of disapprovement. <laughs> but I left him in there. We were doing some breaching and he might have shredded some headrests, some doors, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It, he did some damage. <laughs> oh, but to be fair, though, the dog, I mean, Cairo was kind of Houdini, right? Like, he could get out of kennels. And he and that happened his entire, uh, all the way through retirement, like, even after retirement, oh, yeah. like, he would get out of, like, kennels, right? Like, I've got dogs like that, that I have yeah. to put fucking padlocks on metal kennels <laughs> to keep them from getting out. 
Yeah, it's impressive sometimes. We did the plexiglass thing, and he still would get out. Right. And then, uh, so one day he was actually at, at the kennels. We don't know if he, like, stuck his arm through the gate and just somehow pulled it where the latch bent. I don't know what happened, but he was in. he wasn't in his run. He was in the second run, and I'm like – Houdini, like, and then uh, obviously in the handler school, I think that covers it in Ordinary Dog, how he, first weekend, I think I was in probably a dog medical class, and we come out of the classroom, and his cage door was laying six feet away on the ground, and of I'm course like, oh, I was. man, uh, there's a <laughs> lo- loose wolf around here, and there's a bunch of people, like the canine handlers and officers, and uh, I was pretty nervous, I'm like, oh, crap. I run over to the to the door and he's just sitting in there chilling, just like, "Hey, dude." We figured that he just—I uh, didn't know him right at the time, but we figured after knowing him for a while, like he probably just busted the door open, went and took a shit, and then jumped back in the cage and chilled. <laughs> no, believe me, we we've had dogs like that come through, and they're just—it's the same thing. We have special kennels that I've built that have roofs on them and are—they're almost impossible to get out of but you know it's (laughs) it's definitely challenging housing and dealing with dogs like that um i need one of those for my boy it's like you don't even have thumbs how'd you do that (laughs) yeah you know there was was a video on facebook i saw it once (laughs) (laughs) around like the end of april so like in april 10th you guys are briefed like you guys run through a bazillion reps uh, around the end of April, you guys are good to go. Um, and they tell you to get everything in order and you're heading uh, to the Middle East. So talk about that time frame and getting Cairo ready. Yeah, we just did a whole bunch of runs. I remember my buddy Rob O'Neill complaining about his elbow hurting from doing so. I'm just kidding. I got to give him some <laughs> crap. <laughs> uh, we did a lot of runs. Uh, once we got overseas, it was just like I been on deployment a few months before uh trained when we were supposed to train and brief when we were supposed to brief and other than that it was naps on the couch hanging out with the boys trying not to think too much about what's coming up just consider it another op and focus on what you're supposed to be focusing on so but it was hard to do that it's not the easiest thing but right we were able to yeah Walk us through when um, Avril McRaven um, gave you the briefing with um, all the FBI and the CIA guys in the room. Oh, the briefing was just a little more in-depth. Um, it, was, it was great to hear him get up there and speak. Uh, it was very thorough. Everything was obviously planned. <laughs> there was a lot of planning involved. Um, but as far as everything else, it looked pretty normal. I mean, all the guys on the team is just... Same thing we do night after night. Right. And that's how you guys have prepped it. You're like, well, it's not anymore. It's, it's not any different. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's like you said, I, there are several times in the book you said, you know, it's not any different than anything we'd ever done. Um, but it was the amount of planning that went into it was substantially higher. Um, yeah, obviously. But you can't get too caught up into who it is if not, I mean, you got to be able to think clear. You just can't get distracted. If you do, it could get somebody killed. Most important thing was keeping my friends safe and accomplishing the mission. And um, just try to keep it as calm and normal as possible. Yeah, it was different, of course, but 
for us, like I said, I mean, those guys <clears throat> almost died in a helicopter crash. <laughs> didn't matter. They didn't skip a beat. They crushed it. Not only did they almost die, they did a, they did a very good job, you know. It takes a lot of training to get to that level. The common theme is you train, 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 train. What makes you guys really good at what you do? So, I mean, it, it makes 100% sense. So the That's night right. of uh, May 2nd, 2011, you guys get on the helicopters and you're headed to Jalalabad. Cairo had done this, I don't know, <laughs> a lot. And to him, he didn't know. He didn't know what I was talking about. He didn't care. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, he's sitting in the helicopter. He's sitting between your legs. And uh, I, I assume the mood was a little different. But uh, what was Cairo doing in the helicopter on the way in? I know it sounds anticlimactic, but it wasn't any different. I was trying to fall asleep. I was listening to music. I was <laughs> right. I was looking at Rob's. Uh, you know what? I was mad because I didn't bring a chair like he did. I was like, man, he brought a chair. That was so smart. <laughs> but I was trying to fall asleep. I was listening to music. I was just going through my responsibilities. But yeah, it was a pretty long helicopter ride. We had to stare at him the entire time. We wanted to kick him out of his chair. But <laughs> wouldn't have went over so well. <laughs> He might have tried to throw me out of the bird. <laughs> Speaking of your responsibilities, um, so you and Cairo on just not necessarily this one, but just any of these operations, what is the responsibility of you guys, uh, of you and the dog during this operation? Because when the story gets told about Cairo up until, you know, recently, it has been, oh, the dog that caught Osama bin Laden. And it is somewhat of a misnomer or you know i want everyone to hear kind of like what the job and or the responsibilities of the handler and the dog are during this entire thing that's going on like what you where you fit into the whole process all right so going after who we were going after we figured there might be some explosives involved or some hidden rooms escape tunnels you know my job was to well i was briefed what to do through the head shed but you know, I just place myself in the right positions and watch Cairo. And basically, I just babysat him, and he did all the work. I'm just looking for change of behavior, right? So we did a couple of sweeps of the perimeter, looking for explosives, uh, tunnels. And then once we conducted that and we felt confident it was secure, we moved our way to the inside where we did sweeps for explosives in there, any hidden rooms or Anywhere where a dog might be able to use his nose. Once we were done inside, we moved to Xfil, and uh, we flew back to base. It was a, the nerves were a little high. We didn't know if we were going to make it back the whole way. Like I said, it was a fairly long flight. Might have gotten shot down, uh, but once we landed back on base, I mean, that's like like the twin towers falling. I never forget that moment in my entire life. I'll never forget that moment, just like walking back into the hangar and everybody was still alive. Nobody was hurt and the mission was accomplished. Like that was, you'll never get that memory out of my mind. I'm shocked. And you probably were too, that the place wasn't rigged, that there wasn't, that you, there wasn't just tons of explosives. And I'm blown away by that. Yeah. I mean, you would figure to have something instead, I guess he try to use his women as uh, shields. That's, I guess it's not too surprising that's how we went out. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Not so great. <laughs> not so great. Everybody gets back, and they're going through the confirmation process um, of 
whoever it is that you guys found or didn't find or whatever. Um, and there, there's a very poignant point in the book, uh, one that stands out to me reading it where um, the confirmation was made and you're like, yeah, the dude was laying next to me <laughs> in the hangar as everything is as like I'm just sitting here eating. Like it was just another um, portion of like the overall process. Um, and I think I remember reading like you guys didn't really kind of understand the gravity of what had happened yet. When your team leader came down the hall and you're like, yeah, we found him and, um, you know, we got him. You guys high-fived, which is not common. And, um, you know, there was an overwhelming sense of pride and kind of like the completion of a story for the United States and for Naval Special Operations and for everybody involved, including Cairo. Yeah, it was for a lot of people, I would say, once we heard the news and it was confirmed, we just, just knowing that it was accomplished, even if we got shot down on the way home, I mean, nobody wanted to get shot down, but at least we knew the mission was accomplished and we had him and, um, you know, it needed to be done. When this, act, when this, this initially happened, um, I remember hearing, um, that the team, uh, was back in the United States and that the president and the vice president flew in to meet him. And that, you know, there was a there was a lot of talk about the dog um, that was involved in the operation. And I, I remember reading that, like, oh, the president wanted to meet the dog. And I was like, fuck, what a terrible idea. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, man, I was like, this could not go any worse. And at the time, like, I'm kind of uh, thinking about, yeah, like my like, you know, my handlers that have dogs that are. Um, that, that bite people for a living and the chief of police in these departments mm-hmm. or whatever. So like, Oh, or the sheriffs are like, I want to pet the dog. And you're like, no, nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> so <laughs> talk about, uh, talk about Cairo meeting, uh, president Obama. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was an honor. I, uh, he did. They, they, I guess they were all excited to meet Cairo. Um, I didn't have to put a muzzle on him, but I did put a muzzle on him just in yeah. case. I mean, could you yeah, imagine you did. if that would have happened? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Yes, you did. He would have been completely fine, and I knew he would have been completely fine, but I still was like, not taking any chances. Not taking any chances. So, Bite the president of the United would, States. Yes. Ah, that, would have, that would have not been good. Man, oh, it, would, it was man. supposed to be a good day. That would have not made it such a good day. You guys would have caught one of the most wanted people in history, and the only thing they would have remembered is he bit the president. <laughs> yep. yep. So you muzzled so I had him. So muzzle on him. Definitely. Yep. So I muzzled him. Uh, so he got but to meet that. But it went great. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I did. They, they both got to meet him, pet him. Yeah, it was awesome. Excellent. So um, after this is all over, um, you know, at that point, Cairo was already kind of an elder statesman um, in in the unit. So, you know, he he definitely wasn't up for retirement yet, but he was definitely I guess at this point he'd gone on to like uh, spare status or something. Correct. He was a an extra dog that was going to be used if um, another dog was injured or killed or something else. Yep. So he was a uh, easy to handle. So he's plug and play so they kept right. him around for quite a bit mm-hmm. he starts this whole retirement process so post neptune spear um cairo goes back to the kennel and where do you go i went back to being in a soldier again uh i started 
was a, I think it was in 2012. I got so after handing him off, I went back to being a soldier. Went on deployment, and on that deployment, I got injured by a hand grenade, and um, my hair had fallen out twice before. He said I lost my best friend Nick, and I lost some other very good close friends of mine. My hair had fallen out t- twice. I'm pretty sure it was from that. He said it was alopecia, which is stress induced, and it's not too hard to figure out that that was you know a huge part of it. Right. So between that, uh, we do a lot of breaching and shoot rockets. I mean, name it. We get hit in the head quite a bit. I think those little small concussive hits add up over time. And then the big grenade explosion, that rocked me really. That got me. Um, I ended up getting two forced gump wounds. That's where it mostly got me. But it definitely affected my head quite a bit. From then on, um, I started getting real bad migraines my memory loss was terrible i just it it was a tough situation your mind is going bad i mean look where i was look it took me it took a lot to get there you you can't be you have to work at you know you have to know what you're doing to work right i I didn't feel like i was working at that caliber anymore i'm like what what is going on it's but it's your own mind so it's hard to put your finger on it it's just like i just know i'm not who i used to be um it was kind of my downhill slide but luckily i had great leaders that really cared for me and were very understanding they put me through everything that they possibly could i mean literally every single option that was available they put me through and cairo was coming to the end of his uh time as well he was getting old like you said it ended up working out perfect as far as timing because if i was still operating and he was getting retired you're just not going to give a working dog to to someone like me, a single guy that's deploying all the time, I wouldn't have been able to take him. Probably, I don't think they would have approved it. Um, I had to put in, put in for the paperwork, and there's a, a couple of other guys that put in for it. Great guys. Um, they had families at home; they, they would have been able to take care of him for sure. Um, so the timing with me going downhill, and I was going through a lot of medical appointments. He ended up showing signs of his age. I put in for the paperwork to get him retired. It went through the due diligence. They, they, they uh, made the decision. Handlers usually get first choice, you know, if, if you want to retire him. And I was lucky enough to get approved, and I brought him home. Before we started recording, I had, I had you and I had talked, and I said something about um, having a uh, brain injury myself. Um, obviously, it's not. I, I got in a motorcycle crash. Uh, I think in 2012. I'm pretty sure it was either 2011 or 2012. If that tells you, um, you know, the severity of what what the brain does to people. Um, so I, I do know that I was riding my motorcycle and then I was in an ambulance. And uh, I wore a helmet and everything. And I got a real nasty picture of my head. I look like a Klingon. Um, yeah. That happened on a Friday. My daughter's graduation party from high school was Sunday. I don't remember it. Um, I have blocks of time back then that I don't remember. Um, I do know I was back to work. I got into a shooting on a SWAT raid, shot and killed a guy. Now, in law enforcement, that's not, I guess it's rare, but I mean, it does happen. But those are things that you remember. I was in a shooting on August 5th, 1999 with Coleco Smalls. I remember that one. But this one, I shot this dude. I don't remember the date. I don't remember his name. 
I remember the incident. Um, and, and things like that can really, really mess with you. And um, I, don't, I don't know that folks really, when they're reading the book, you do get a real sense of your struggle in the book. You, you really do. You guys did a great job with it. But I don't know that folks really truly grasp the power of the brain as far as when you're not yourself, when you're somebody who's used to working at a high level or um, is used to being a certain way, you know, what it can do to you. I know I didn't, I went to back, to, I went back to work way too early. Probably um, if you thought back to it, you probably did too. I know I went back and I didn't, there was a stretch of four days. I didn't, I slept 15 minutes in like four days. Could not sleep at all. Um, Cause my brain was running my calendar through my head at a thousand miles an hour to where I was grabbing my head. Um, so I, I don't want to, I mean, we don't, I don't really want to get into all that, but I don't want to belittle that part of your journey and your history. And when people go back and read it, um, read that part of the book. Cause I mean, it's very powerful. You guys did an amazing job in there explaining that stuff. Thank you. I mean, the re- the reason for writing this book is we're a piece of history when we accomplished the mission, Cairo's name was released, and then there's some stuff that's just not true. Cairo was a great dog. We participated in that. I want the truth out there. It's an honor, honor to be able to tell this story, kind of shine a light on a lot of guys that would never, they'll never speak about a single thing they did. It also shines light on what working dogs do. I mean, all service animals, right? Like just the value of the right. dogs, period. So if I'm going to do, I'm going to tell Cairo's story. It can shed light on what the amazing animals can do and then okay let's talk about my personal story it's not easy uh but if i can help one person i mean there's there's the suicide rate is ridiculous um i know there's guys out there struggling exactly you know and you talk about um all the doctors and everybody at walter reed and you know all the doctors that weren't there and everybody and you say that they have a a genuine desire to help you um they really tried and, um, you know, they, you know, everybody was professional and everything else. The one thing that you mentioned, I can't read gloss count of the number of the book. The only thing that helped you, uh, was going to the kennel to hang out with Kyra to the, to the point that kennel staff, the dudes that were there were just like, Oh, it's the fucking wills here again. So, you know, you just go see Cairo and you guys would hang out you would play fetch. You would do like whatever. And that was the only thing was the one thing that kind of like helped you through. Now, this is a fucking badass combat assault dog that served and participated in one of the most historic events in American history. And he's kind of semi-retired, but not really. And at this point, he's serving a different role, like you mentioned, you know, I mean, you know, he's helping you through uh, TBIs and, um, you know, everybody, if you're listening to this, go read the book and Will talks about, and I'll let him tell it, like about medications and everything else. The only thing that helped was dealing with Cairo, correct? Yeah. I mean, just having him around, think of all the stuff we've been through. It was just to my mental health, it was definitely valuable. I mean... Dogs like, like that are great. Even when Cairo passed, I had a dog. Her name was Hagen. She uh, got me through that. She passed too long ago. And the, the dogs I have now got me through that. It's just, you know, it's never easy losing them. 
Um, I think that's one modality, definitely. If, if you're a dog person, the dogs can be a great thing to use. They can just make you feel better. I sleep better at night knowing that I have a couple of Malinois right beside me. Good luck on breaking in, but I think there's a lot of <laughs> modalities when it, could be, <laughs> when it comes yep. to brain health. Like, I've, I've just, I mean, you could dive in. I know a lot of guys are in a bad place. Um, I wasn't reaching out. Luckily, my best friend, his name is Jared Shaw, reached out to me and drug me to a, a brain treatment place. And that was kind of one of my first steps. There's all kinds of modalities I've learned about now, like breathing and meditating, float tanks, diet. I mean, name it. Um, there's so many different modalities. And say if guys are in a bad place, just, just reach out. There's so many great people out there that will help you. And if you know somebody that's in a bad place, uh, reach out to them. Yeah, and and that's kind of something that comes across very, very, very strongly in the book. Um, and also that, you know, I mean, Cairo is not definitely not a emotional support dog. He That is not his job. No. That is not what he was trained for. Um, you talk about even in retirement, he was kind of an asshole, and you let him get away with shit like eating your sandwich. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> You know, I mean, just the fact of having him around um, definitely was good for you and definitely the recovery for the TBI and um, other issues that were going on that you guys talk about in the book. Yeah, it was, it was good for my soul. Just uh, having him in the, we took boat ride about a boat, so we ended up taking a bunch of boat rides. He didn't love the water, but he loved being out on the boat with us. I bought a, a motorcycle with a sidecar. We could drive around town. Yeah, those are great we pictures, by the way. In the book. Yeah, I, the, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. There's pictures of that in the book. And you bought that. So the process of the retirement for the dog, there was a, an entire deal where they kind of said, oh, he's going to retire, he's not, or whatever else. So the day you got, um, you were training, at the, I think the point you'd been moved to a training squadron or something, if I remember correctly, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, um, yep. hey, Will, the dog's getting retired. You're like, oh, shit. And you fucking booked it back to the kennel and filled out paperwork that needed to be done ASAP, right? I did, yeah. I was in um, a, a role where I was able to make it to a lot of medical appointments. Like I said, the people that were in charge of me were great, understanding. I didn't have a lot going on besides medical appointments and helping where I could possibly help. So as soon as I heard, yeah, I ran over to the kennels and we got through the paperwork as quickly as possible. And I loaded them in the truck and... It took him home. We didn't look back. Excellent. So, well, before that though, you had to go through the whole process because other dudes, other guys definitely. that were that were definitely worthy of him going to be retired with. Um, so they were they had to go through the whole process. So um, you had to do an interview where they went through the um, you know everybody to do their job, make sure the dog was going to be cared for, make sure you know they ask a lot of crazy questions like. <laughs> you, you know, are you going to be able to care for him? What are you going to feed him? Yeah, what are you going to Dog food? Steak? <laughs> he gets steak. filet mignon. He gets filet mignon. Seriously? Yeah. I might have actually put that. <laughs> <laughs> so you were uh, you were interviewed um, by somebody from the kennel um, that you mm -hmm. were friends with. Uh, so he did yep. his job. He did it professionally. And mm -hmm. at that point, you were just kind of left hanging. Um, you get the call. That uh, you were selected to have Cairo come home, uh, and you booked it big time to the kennel. Oh, yeah. That's the first thing I did as soon as I got the phone call. I'll, I can remember that moment, too. 
So I forget a lot of stuff with my brain things going on, but I definitely remember that. I hung up immediately. I texted Natalie and told her Kyra was coming home with Tyro. And I went and grabbed him or fin finished filling out the paperwork. They signed him over to me officially, and we went home. And we, we had steak. And we had filet mignon, I'm sure. <laughs> right. So at this point, his name is actually Carlos, not Cairo. Oh, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, so the Navy renamed Carlos. him because they wanted to make sure that you guys weren't going to use him for profit or anything weird, um, which you yeah. weren't going to do anyway. Um, so Carlos, at this point... <laughs> comes home Carlos? and uh yeah i mean so talk about the first couple of days with cairo being at home so like like you said with the sandwich <laughs> wasn't used to <laughs> you left it sitting there man the i mean <laughs> oh it's all my fault it's always my fault it is uh i probably stopped by i don't know wawa or something got a sandwich and i left it on the ottoman went in the kitchen like, no time less than a minute just you know grab a drink or something but come back into the living room and he had unpeeled the wrapper and licked all of the tuna out of it but he left all the bread and the cheese just for me <laughs> and it was impressive yes. how he unwrapped yeah. that thing and crushed it but man i was only gone for like 30 seconds dude and you crushed that thing I like, do I, I left most i left all the good stuff for you <laughs> exactly <laughs> Fantastic. i was gone 30 seconds that's uh, I was gone thirty learned. seconds is the mantra of shit that right? happened. Well, <laughs> I, it's, that's it. Yeah, no, man, I, <laughs> I have hundreds of stories like that. You know, you as well as anybody and guys listening to this that were in positions where you were, regardless of the unit they're in, um, kind of deal with lasting effects of operational tempo and everything else over there. So one of the things that Cairo was known for is the dog, obviously. Any dog in that position is is bomb proof environmentally. Uh, nothing scares them. No fucking reaching fire, uh, uh, you know, handgun fire, um, long gun fire, whatever. Doesn't bother these dogs at all. Nothing, you know, helicopter, rotor wash, whatever. So you get Kyra home, and for some reason, um, you guys are on the East Coast where you have thunderstorms like we do here. Thunderstorm rolls in, and Cairo exhibits some weird things that uh were not recognized during normal deployment so kind of talk about what happened with that yeah it was really weird to see i mean he had been shot and he went back to a full recovery and <clears throat> once i got him retired like you said one thunderstorm came through and the thunder got him he he just got scared he would try to either go under our legs in between the couch and the ottoman or he would just literally crawl up into the lap and just try to like bury himself in you it was really weird he uh, didn't love the thunder I, I didn't know how to explain it i mean i guess he had his stuff he was going through too that whole process kind of like him retiring you retiring or, or starting your process of getting medically retired with the navy which i hear takes no time at all um <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i i hear right. that that's super fast so yeah. um cairo is um living at home doing the cairo thing he's um basically just a pet at this point and you know i mean he's the best medicine for what you've got going on so um inevitably he starts to slow down uh so 
you know, there's a point where um, you take him to um, your in-laws' house, if I remember correctly, and you know there was a toy involved. You talked about it a little bit where um, he gets bit yeah. by the Boston Terrier, <laughs> the fucking bulldog, <laughs> the fucking asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and he doesn't even care, right? <laughs> no, so, he care. right, you know, you there's a point in the book that to me was one of the ones that stands out the most, where you actually get to visit the 9/11 memorial, which is kind of like full circle for this entire thing. So 9/11 kind of started it. We chased everybody and everything down and did everything that happened between, you know, Desert Shield and Desert Storm and everything else. And the culmination of everything was Neptune Spear. So you uh, take a trip with three fucking dogs in your car. Two or three? Uh, (laughs) How many dogs do you have in the car? You had two. Two. We left one. You had Hagen, and you had yeah. you, you had Cairo in the car, and you guys um, go to New York City to go to the nine eleven memorial. Head to New York. Reading the book, that was kind of at that point that you decided that Cairo was starting to kind of like slow down a little bit. Um, yeah. You took Hagen out because she's a Malinois, she's a female, so she's kind of an asshole, but she kind of like you know runs around and she's you know super affable and you know does the Malinois thing and she's a puppy yeah. and does puppy stuff. So um, talk about that trip a little bit with Cairo and you know talk a little bit about um, going to the 9/11 memorial for you. One of the things you talked about for sure was the, the anonymity of it and how you were grateful for that. Yeah, we um, loaded up the car and I had never been to the 9/11 museum, so I thought it was fitting. Power had started to show signs he'd been throwing up. I brought him in a few times, but nothing. You know, the vet hadn't seen anything. Um, Hagen was a puppy. We left one dog at home because he was a boy. He was a handful. Um, we brought Hagen. She was, she might have been a puppy. That dog was pretty special too. Like, uh, she was a real mellow, small mal. Like, I, I, we really got lucky getting her. Um, got to the 9-11 museum and we checked into the hotel. The, the valet opens the door and we got two mountain walls in there and Cairo, you know, he looks like a wolf. So he was a little standoffish. And we bring him up and I think we got to the Ritz. <laughs> it was weird walking him through the, the lobby, but <laughs> we got to the room, but he ended up throwing up really bad and it looked like, I mean, it basically looked like diarrhea. And he, it was terrible. Uh, he just it wasn't looking so hot, and we ended up just, um, I really, honestly, I mean, obviously I wanted to take him to the 9-11 Museum and walk through it with him, it's just that it was so busy, and I didn't want to put him in a bad situation, after, especially after how he was feeling. So I got to bring Hagen, and, which was, you know, that was great. I, I'm really glad I got to bring her. I, I almost put in the book, you know, for the dedication for Cairo and Hagen, I love that dog. It was cool to be able to experience it with her too. Um, I just I wish it would have been Cairo. It just it wasn't. It wouldn't have been the right call. I feel, but we tried. We sure tried. Uh, but the experience was still. Um, if you haven't been there, the place is just. It's a very humbling experience. Every time we go, those people there that run that place are amazing. They do an amazing job. Yeah, you know, and I've been to the Oklahoma City one. It's a very. Eerie isn't the right word, but it is a very it is a very humbling experience. And um, it, you know, one of the things you mentioned is 
there is a specific portion of that memorial where they talk about um, the operation that Cairo was involved in. And, um, you know, he played an integral part in that. He played an integral part of the team. And for you to be able to walk through that with no one knowing who you were, even if you had brought him, like even if you had brought the dog that was part of the operation that was in the memorial, no one would have known. And one of the things you said that was in the book that was very um, interesting is like, you know, you were grateful for the anonymity that you were able to go through that and be able to experience it without people being like, oh, fuck, that's Kyra Varel. So um, in the postscript, you kind of talked about the night that he got shot. You had the the um, uh, the vest that he wore. It still had blood on it and everything else. And you talked about maybe donating that to the 9-11 museum as part of the like overall story. I did. Um, they just put up the <clears throat> hunt for bin Laden yep. exhibit and they asked me if, uh, donate his vest. And I did and they put it up. It's, they did a great job. It's an honor to be able to have, I mean, think of many people at first I was, I remember my team leader asking me if I wanted to donate it. And at first I was like, no, like you said, he kind of been shot in that vest. We'd been through so many operations. I actually had it mounted um to hang up in my house and then i guess i just sort of realized like hey man don't be so selfish like come on dude like how many people will be able to see this and it's an honor to be able to have his best up there so of course like yeah when they offered it again i was like hey dude stop and i, I did i donated it willingly i, I was going to get him whatever they wanted a muzzle his e-collar like yeah take and put up on display whatever you feel is um, fitting. They ended up just using his best. Awesome. I think it's probably a very interesting because, you know, when people go to that museum, they see they're there for, what, four minutes? So you guys are on the ground for 45 minutes, and they're there for four to five minutes, and they see. And one of the things they see is Cairo's vest, which is pretty fitting for the community and the operation as a whole. But uh, as for special operations as a whole and the role that it plays, which is kind of the whole point of um, this interview in general. But, you know, after the fact, um, you know, at this point, Cairo had started to um, you wanted to take him and it wasn't happening. He'd started to throw up, uh, you know, and it was he, his health had started to deteriorate. So he had a very storied and long career in special operations. He had a very storied and long career in helping you after the fact, or not career, but you know, helping you after the fact um, with TBI and with that's the best interactions you had. So kind of talk about how, um, you know, you had some guys that were um, in the Navy that, that were some vets um, that, kind of helped you after the fact that weren't your normal vet that were like, you know, you got to take him somewhere else or whatever else, but um, kind of talk about um, the initial decision and um, when Cairo decides to, um, you know, kind of talk about how um, the end happened. Yeah, I was um, visiting a friend in Colorado, kind of doing an internship. Uh, so when, he, <clears throat> when I got there, something had happened where it was just something was really off with Cairo and I immediately needed to take him to the vet. Um, 
a vet in his hometown worked on Cairo for free. They ended up having to cut him open his fleet. His spleen had flipped over his stomach. <clears throat> well, Doc Princeton is his name. He didn't take a penny. He didn't even know it was Cairo from the big mission. He just knew he was a a working dog. And, and so he uh, went in there and did what he could. Um, I went from that, I went from Colorado to another buddy of mine who has a canine training facility. His name is Josh Morton uh, in Iowa. And when I was there, I was helping him do some training, doing another internship. It just, I was hoping Cairo would get better and it just wasn't looking so great. I made the decision to get him home as fast as I could. I've loaded him in the truck and I think I just, I don't know if I even stopped. Got him home to Virginia as quick as I could. Um, we brought him to another vet that we had used <clears throat> from the command. So he knew the working dogs and I think he'd actually known Cairo from before doing some work on him. That guy didn't get charged. We, we paid some, we paid the vet clinic, but that doctor didn't take any money. He did the surgery. Uh, he didn't take any payment for that surgery, so that was awesome of him as well. When he cut him open, he just found out he had cancer. Uh, he did what he could. I took Cairo home, and it was really rough, man. It was my it was my birthday. I was syringe feeding him, and I laid there with him the whole night. I remember it was, it was my birthday. I was just laying there uh, right beside him on his dog bed. He ended up, poor buddy, wasn't feeling good. He, he woke up in the middle of the night, and I was literally two seconds away from the diarrhea shit on, on my head. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not. I mean, poor buddy. Yeah, we've all been there. You know, it's my birthday, and I wake up to him, but, I mean, poor guy, he could barely move. Just um, eventually, you, know, just, you, you, you can't hold on too right. long. We did everything that we possibly could right. for him. Eventually, it's just selfish. No, and, and you know, uh, we we have all. Eric has been there. I've been there. You know, dogs we've trained, dogs we've handled, dogs we've owned. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it's that that is that is the decision. Every time that happens, and I had to do a um, not a eulogy, I guess it would be, but at a funeral recently for a dog that passed in a county over from us. That was one of ours, and so. You know, Cairo's legacy is obviously the dog that was on Neptune Spear. But instead of that, you know, what do you want people to remember Cairo for? Because he was he was more than the fucking dog that was there. I mean, he it's was. <laughs> I mean, that was that was forty five minutes of his fucking career. So, <laughs> like, right. you know, what was the rest of the fucking twelve years like? I mean, I just wanted to tell his whole story, and that's what the book does. I mean, it just sheds light on uh, so we get to participate in that mission. His name is in the limelight, and if it's going to be out there, well, I want the truth out there. And I don't like talking about myself. There's guys in the teams that have done way more stuff than I have. I'm nobody compared to some of those men. I don't get me wrong, I worked my ass off to get there, um, and I tried to earn my keep as best as possible, but... You know, like you said, Cairo, that's just one part of Cairo's life. He made so many people happy. He helped me. He, he got to conduct a whole lot of other operations. I, I just want his whole story to be told and for people to know the truth. And then not only about him, a lot of the guys on that team will never talk about what happened. So it just kind of sheds light on them, all working dogs. You know, that's it. I just want people to know the truth. I think the book is... Um... 
a very fitting story of uh, Cairo's overall legacy. You know, everybody just knows the story of how he was on, he was in, in Jalalabad for 45 minutes where we caught the most wanted man in the fucking universe. But the rest of it, like, you know, like I said, he wasn't a trained PTSD dog or he wasn't a trained service dog or he wasn't a trained like anything else. I mean, he was a fucking combat assault dog. I mean, and he helped you through yeah. some of the darkest times in your career or post career or soon ending career. So, you know, I want this episode and I, I hope that everyone reads the book and hear and reads what I read, which is that the um the legacy of Cairo is more than just Neptune Spear and is more, you know, and it is also the story of everybody that he worked with. Which is Yeah. Which I is which that. is what I got from it. Um you know, that's where Yeah, just not only the Neptune's Right. Spear doesn't tell you about how he got, you know, how he wasn't home with kids. It doesn't tell you about the homeless guy he pooped on in the bushes. It doesn't oh, tell yeah. you how about he pissed in your, our train how he pissed in your boot. How he pissed in my boot. <laughs> there's so many great stories, right? Like there's so much. He got shot even before Neptune Spear. And then, yeah, no, you're right. That's, that's what I want yeah. people to know. Not just the one thing. Yeah. And uh, like you can learn a lot. Well, I mean, like you said, Cairo helping me at the end, of course, like. I just got lucky having that dog that could turn it off and he ended up like everybody at home can kind of relate to that. I'm sure people love their animals. There's a dog, like, you know, the dogs don't dwell on the past. They don't live in the future. Yeah. They like live in the present and they remind me all the time, man, be present. You never know when one of them's going to go. And that goes with not only dogs, but anybody in your family. Just, uh, yeah, they're great. Great to have around. He, he will always be remembered. You know, he was a, an integral part of your life. And that is a, that's a story that everybody that's here um, on this podcast that we've had, I've had handlers that have dog killed, more than, more than one handler that have dogs killed on, um, uh, you know, during normal police work. And the, the story is always the same, that they're more than just a dog. And um, I think the book does a great yeah. job of um, telling that. You did a great job of telling that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm grateful that Cairo got to come home with you and and help you through that process for sure. I mean, that's a fantastic portion of the story. I am too. I mean, there's no telling what might have happened with my, my mental state at the time. I wouldn't have been able to bring him home. And he definitely helped me get through some hard times i mean you can even see in the motorcycle picture how big i was i gained quite a bit of weight and i was self-medicating with alcohol but he helped me get through it and i mean natalie did too my girlfriend when they passed i mean i had hagen take care of me as well she helped me get through that you know these dogs are just great so um the book is out now no ordinary dog uh we talked about this before we started Recording that you actually did an audiobook for those folks that really like audiobooks. Where can that be found? Yeah, I read the audiobook myself. And you find the book in any bookstores on Amazon. It should be the audiobook as well. Where, uh, when I was at the 9 11 Museum, it was really cool. Those, one of the guys there, Cliff, kind of explained to me. I didn't realize like, it's been so long since 9 11. There's a lot of kids nowadays that don't even realize what it is. And they can relate to, I and mean, he was explaining how they can relate to seeing the fireman helmet 
or the boots. Uh, he kind of explained that with Cairo's vest, how, how children might be able to kind of help, help them relate to what happened. Um, we were also did a, another version of the book, a young reader's version. Um, so I really hope that can help, you know, kids kind of understand what working dogs can do and the role is of them in the military. And I mean, you can help on all kinds of levels, but yeah, there's another version that should be coming out as well here soon. But for now, uh, the book should be available anywhere in any bookstore and online. Uh, where can people find like social media stuff? Where do you like Instagram and Facebook? Where are you guys at? No ordinary dog book. You know, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Both of them should be no ordinary dog book. Yep. I, uh, followed it the other day. It's pretty good, man. I, this has been a great episode. This is by, this is easily. And I told you in the beginning, we wouldn't do three hours, but fuck, we're close. Um, <laughs> This is our longest episode we've done. My bad. We knew it. Ted and I predicted it. We were like, yeah, this, there's so much there to talk about. I mean, shit, you could have done it. We could have done another hour about just your struggles, but we wanted to keep, you know, talk about Cairo and everything. Um, but uh, I really hope, man, I really hope that your book sh- shoots up to number one and and – the more people that read it, the more people see it that really understand, like Ted says, it wasn't about that 45 minutes. The dog had a long freaking career ahead of that and a nice life after that. Um, you and your lady did uh, above and beyond what a lot of people would do. You really uh, talk about in the book, the writing is really good. You kind of put people right there and uh, especially people that have had those dogs that they love and as they're, you know, coming into the twilight of the life and the problems that come along with that. And it, it definitely hits home with a lot of people. So, um, I, I'm really super stoked that you came on here. You know, um, we wouldn't have ever got a chance to meet otherwise. And, um, you know, Mike and everybody that knows you just, just raves about you. And, uh, I, I, I'm honored to have you on here. And it was, it was a great time talking to you. I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's a, it's an honor just to be able to tell the story, uh, really. So, I hope I'm, I'm glad everybody's enjoying it, and um, I really hope you get something out of it. And I, I hope I did. Not only Cairo, but the, the other guys on my team. You know, I hope I did everybody well. No, uh, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Oh yeah, no ordinary dog book. Check them out. Yep, check it out. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing. WD Radio for ten percent off your first order. ALM Canine Equipment.com. Give him a give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete 
picture for ex- the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. You got your reasons, I got my wants, still got that feeling, but I'm Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.